Hey there, and welcome to another episode of The Bible. Wait, what? Yes, this is the podcast that unravels the mysteries of the Bible's most perplexing, puzzling, and thought-provoking passages. My name is Rowan, and each session I'm joined by a member of our team at C3 Church, Camden, Picton, and Thoreau, as they quiz me on some of the more complicated, confusing, challenging, and even confronting passages that we read in our weekly Bible reading plan. understand that reading the Bible can be a challenging and perplexing experience. Many people just don't know where to start, they get confused, and so they give up. Well, that's why this podcast exists, to equip you with the tools and the knowledge to explore the richness and depth of the Bible for yourself. So grab your Bible, take a deep breath, and join us as we explore this week's passages. To learn more about us or to get in touch with us at C3 Church Camden, Picton and Thoreau, visit any of our three locations websites. That's c3camden.church, c3picton.church and c3thoreau.church. Or you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube just by searching for any of our locations names. So without any further delay, let's dive into today's conversation. to our C3 Picton Thoreau Camden. I always get that order kind of mixed up. I do it in alphabetical order, Jeff. Yeah. That's the easiest way. Okay, Camden Picton Thoreau, right? Yep. Our podcast, The Bible, wait, what? That's it, Jeff. Where we're talking about a uh, whole bunch of Bible uh, passages that we're uh, looking at throughout the year. And uh, we're, I'm here today with Pastor Rowan, who's... The authority on all things Bible. Ah, uh, that's a bit of a bold claim. <laughs> <laughs> and a few other things as well. He's pretty uh, clued up on. So, oh, thanks, Jeff. But uh, anyway, this is not our first conversation, Pastor Rowan, is it? We, you and I, have we have many, don't we, Jeff? Yeah, we spend yes. hours and hours yes. speaking about. Different Always love my conversations. Ideas with the, the way you think, Jeff. It's great. Yeah, it's great. Uh, I think it's important that we uh, continue to to search the scriptures and continue to ask questions and, and yeah, you know, for sure. Dive, try and dive a bit deeper and try to to work out. Um, who this Jesus is that we, uh, you know, that we serve. Amen. Right. So, uh, the po- the podcast today is primarily about Pentecost Sunday. Yes, it is coming up to Pentecost Sunday this week. Yeah. So, what I thought I might start with, uh, Rowan, is just asking you, for people that may not know, um, what the word Pentecost actually means. Sure. I think uh, I think Pentecost comes from. Uh, I don't know what the Greek derivative of it is, but it has it has the word pent meaning like pentagram having five five sides, yeah. so it has to do with fifty, and so it was a particular feast, the feast of Pentecost, which was fifty days after Passover, in the Old Testament. Um, it, they would they would mark off fifty days from Passover, and then they would have the feast of Pentecost, and it was unique in the Old Testament in that it was the only one of the Jewish feasts that actually had leaven involved in the feast all the other feasts they weren't allowed to have leaven 
Pentecost was different. They actually did have leaven. And so it became uh, synonymous through the church, through the Jewish rabbis with uh, whether or not there's historical evidence for this, but it was linked to the, they believed that the Feast of Pentecost, if I'm right, was was, uh, linked to the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. So it became linked to that aspect of it, that time that they, when Moses went up Mount Sinai and gave the law. And uh, there were various different other practices throughout that time, throughout those 2,000 years or 1,400 years that were linked to that as well. Mm-hmm. So that by the time we get to Jesus and the New Testament, it's a very well-established uh, practice, yeah, a right. feast. It's, a, it's incredible, isn't it, how often these Jewish festivals, things happened on those days yes. that, that have... Um, shaped our christian beliefs as well very much so christian i think that was intentional i suppose yeah 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 right so okay so the word pentecost we know is 50th but so how does how does how do we uh, apply that then to calling our church a pentecostal church okay all right good question yeah so pentecost was this particular jewish feast 50 days after passover and it just so happened that that was the feast on which well scholars will say the church was birthed so there there jesus has been uh resurrected and then he's been on the earth for a period of about 40 days appearing to various different people coming and going if you like we don't exactly know where he was when he wasn't around but he was on appeared on the earth for 40 days on the 40th day he ascended into heaven and told them to wait in jerusalem until they were clothed with power Mm -hmm. um, on high and that happened 10 days later acts chapter 2 says on the on the day of pentecost uh, they were the, all the disciples were together and they were clothed with power, which uh, was an experience where the Holy Spirit came on them. Uh, they spoke in tongues. It was a supernatural experience. We'll probably look at it at some point. And, um, and in that context, that, that belief in the, the power of the Holy Spirit coming as a separate and a discrete um, event um, has been something that's fundamental to what we as Pentecostals say. We believe that, that, that the Holy Spirit, as well as being a breathing on us and giving us new life, um, which is part of the role of the Holy Spirit, the creation, new creation role, but there's also this other empowering role. And we as a Pentecostal church believe in the power of Pentecost. It's still applicable to Christians today. We can still be uh, filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit for life. And yeah. so hence, we're a Pentecostal church. Right, that's great. And because I know that some churches... Um, believe that you know the the gifts of the holy spirit don't really apply these days correct they, yeah they, they kind of stopped after um after the apostles died out but, yeah but we don't believe no that. we don't believe that no no and it's there are good godly people who have their reasons for that um i, I don't want to part company with people over that but but i we believe as pentecostals i think there's very good strong theology that an experience that that not just theology but experience that that isn't the case that the gifts of the holy spirit haven't ceased yeah right so Acts 2 is the place where we see um, the day of Pentecost in our Bibles. Yep. Uh, so sort of happens there. Um, and the heading in my Bible is the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I guess in my early years in the church, before I really knew my Bible too well, before I'd read my Bible, I had probably read that because, I, you know, the Holy Spirit excited me back, back in the day. It was... Uh, Really exciting stuff for me when I was a teenager. And so when I read that, I thought, that's when the Holy Spirit came to earth. Yep, right. He'd never he knew left heaven Spirit before. Hadn't been around before. I'd that. never heard of uh, the Holy yeah, Spirit okay. before. Because I guess I didn't bother reading the Old Testament <laughs> you know, when I was a young <laughs> yep. fella. So 
Can you speak into that a little bit? What, what, what would you say now about that? Yeah, sure. Well, we, um, we are going to also record a separate group conversation about the Holy Spirit, and we'll probably touch on that here too. Um, two things that come to mind, I would say. First of all, the, the Spirit of God's presence is there on page one of the Bible. In Genesis chapter one, we read about the Spirit of God hovering over the waters and uh, we see a development. Second thing is we see a development of the understanding of the Holy Spirit. In fact, in preparation um, for these podcasts, I was doing some research and trying to work out at what, why the sudden um, acceleration of the use of the name Holy Spirit in the yeah, New yeah. Testament as opposed to the Old Testament, where um, the uh, Ruach HaKodesh, the spirit of holiness, the, the wind of holiness, yeah. it only appears like as a term, as a name, a couple of times in the Old Testament. It is there, uh, spirit of holiness or Holy Spirit, but not in the frequency that it's used in the New Testament. But there are, are plenty of other references to the spirit of God and 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 all kinds of different terminology for the Ruach in the Holy Spirit yep. in the Old Testament. Um, so I think, I think it's fair to say that over time, there was a developing understanding among, uh, among the ancients about what the person of the Holy Spirit was. And I'm not totally sure that, well, we, we know historically that even the official doctrine of the Trinity um, was formed up as a doctrine, not during the time of the New Testament, but uh, well, 200 years later. So I think there was a, yeah. they looked back on the Old Testament, they looked back on the New Testament and they went, this is what seems to be saying. Uh, we see references to the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit a couple of times in the New Testament. So therefore we'll form up this doctrine of the Trinity to believe this is the, this is the nature of God. And that is a fundamental belief for us. But I think it's been developed over time. Yep. But there's okay. definitely reference, plenty of references to God's Spirit at work in the Old Testament. Yeah, right. So uh, I guess that's a, uh, that's a good reason for us to read the whole Bible, yeah. and not just the, not the just bits that we the like. Bits we like. Yep. <laughs> yep. But the whole Bible to get a full understanding for of, sure, Jeff. of what God was doing. Yeah. So with that in mind, uh, I noticed that um, the Bible readings that you have for, the, for this topic, um, there's three chapters in the book of Daniel. Yep. Chapter 2, 3 and 4. 2, 3 and 4. So I thought we might um, kind of have a, a, a bit of a look at the, those chapters. They're, they're pretty wild. Uh, <laughs> Aren't they chapters. ever? There's All kinds of weird visions happening in Daniel's life. All sorts of imagery happening yep. there. So. So just to set the scene a little bit, um, so at the time, this, this is around about 600 BC. Yep. Um, you know, in that sort of area. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon at the time. And, and I think he's a, he's a pretty powerful guy, but he's a pretty switched on sort of a fellow too, Nebuchadnezzar, because what he does is he surrounds himself with all the wise and all the noble men in the whole known world at yes, the time yeah, his, good point. his kingdom yeah be, um so that he can you know glean information from them good call um i've not thought of that but you're absolutely right he did he pulled in noblemen from all over yeah yeah i guess you, you, as you read through it you can kind of think that he was just a narcissist uh, yeah <laughs> and a bit tyrannical or yeah something. but but i think you know he's trying to i reckon that's pretty smart it's, yeah. it's a good idea to have people around you yes it, for that, sure that know more than you possibly and that's not to any way whitewash 
what he did or what his empire did, but in its, yeah. his, in its historical context, he seemed to have this sense of, even though he was a, a tyrannical leader of an empire, he still recognized the need for others' wisdom as well, I suppose. Yes, that's right. right yeah. yeah, good. For good sure. Call. Yep. So they, these guys could advise him and, and serve him. And um, so some of the guys that he that he got were, were Daniel and a few of his mates. Yep. And uh, of course, the name of the book we're looking at here is Daniel. And so the, this book talks a lot about the things that happened in Daniel's life. Other books do as well, but so this is the one we're looking at today. So I thought we might just have uh, read through a little bit of um, Daniel chapter two and the first uh, six verses. Sure. So it says, in the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians the enchanters, sorcerers and astrologers to tell him uh, what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, may the king live forever. Tell your servant the dream and we'll interpret it. This is where it gets interesting. The king replied to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces <laughs> and your houses turned into piles of rubble. That's what a tyrannical leader can do when they're troubled. <laughs> Quite harsh. <laughs> but if you tell me the dream and explain it, um, you'll receive from me gifts and rewards and great honour. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Pretty harsh stuff, hey? Yeah. So as we read on, we find out that the, these, uh, you know, so-called wise astrologers and whatever, they, there's no way they can know what the king dreamed. No, and no. They say that, don't they? They do say that. That yeah. information is locked up for the gods, they say. That's right. In chapter 10, I think that says no one can do what the king asks. Yes. No one on earth you know, can, can do yep. this sort of thing. And so um, the king decides he's going to kill everyone, yep. all these all wise these men, wise, like wise you men, said, going to chop you up and turn, turn your house into rubble. And so he's, um, he sends his mate out to go and kill all these people. And um, his mate comes to Daniel, the hero of our story. And uh, Daniel says, oh, whoa, 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 hang on a second. Give me a chance. Let me think about this. And, um, you know, I'll see, see if the God that I serve will tell we'll give me an answer, what yep. this is about. So... Would you like to continue on that story at all? You want me to continue at all? Oh, no, you carry on. You okay. do. I'm actually quite entertained. You're, you're a great job at telling the story. Yeah, okay. keep going. So, so Daniel gets together with he, with three of his mates, and and he does what um, I think is a great idea f for all of us to do when we don't really know what to do. They get together and they pray. They pray, and they say, "Lord God, can you can you help us understand or tell us what this?" dream is and then help help us to understand it yeah okay and so of course you know because god wants to show himself to be the god he wants to show that he's actually in charge that's yep, right that's yep, right not nebuchadnezzar he yep. tells daniel the dream and uh daniel then e explains it to the king what i love is in verse 14 it's one of my favorite verses in the whole chapter it says when Arioch, who's the, the king's mate, the king's commander of the king's guard, comes to put him to death, Daniel, it says, speaks with wisdom and discretion. Wisdom and tact. Mm. 
I love that. It just, it just brings a calming, non-anxious presence into the situation. And um, that's a sign we see in Daniel time and time again, is that through the empowerment of God's Holy Spirit, we can think of spiritual Holy Spirit people as being weird and always out there. And yet Daniel has some weird visions, but yet he's anchored in everyday life, wisdom and tact. That tells me the guy's level-headed. He's, he's yes. got a calming influence. The Spirit of God operating as a, as a peace an operation of peace through him, I think, which is quite interesting. That's right, it is, isn't it? And and he, I think from all accounts, he was only a fairly young fella. Yeah, at well, at this stage, he probably is still quite young. Yeah, yeah, he was young when he was taken, and uh, this is this is fairly early on. Nebuchadnezzar's the original king yep. at the beginning, so yeah, he's probably only in his twenties or something, maybe yep. even late teens. Yep, and the Bible tells us. I think it's in, I think it might be in James. Uh, if you ask, if you need wisdom, wisdom ask yep, the that's Lord James for wisdom. One. Yeah, that's and, right. Um, he'll give you wisdom, and that's something that that I know. Um, when I first started, um, you know, leading in the church in in connect groups and things like that, all those years ago, I thought I've got no wisdom at all. Oh yeah, that's and cool. I prayed that every day when I woke yeah. up. Lord, give me wisdom. Lord, give yep. me wisdom. You know. Yeah, for sure. And, and He helps me. And and, uh, and that's a promise of God. Wisdom is a key theme. Chokmah right. is the yeah. Hebrew word all the way through the Bible, linked to God's Spirit, actually, repeatedly. Right. So. Um, Chapter, uh, sorry, verse 27 and 28. 27 and 28. Where Daniel, um, so the king, uh, Daniel had explained things to um, to the king. And the king says, no wise man, I'm um, sorry, Daniel says, no wise man, enchanter, magician or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked. Which is pretty much what the other guys had just said too. Yeah, <laughs> he says, but there's a God yeah. in heaven. Who reveals everything. Amen. And I love that, that, you know, these guys, they prayed. God gave them the answer. They thanked God for, for who he was and what he could do. And then they gave him all the glory. Yeah, amen. You know? I love that, Jeff. Because it, there was this idea that, um, you know, Daniel knew if he could, if he could um, tell the king what the dream meant, that he was going to get these mm. riches and these mm. honours, but he didn't want it. He, 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 he like wasn't worried. I think he doesn't he say that just before he goes, oh, king, keep keep your riches. Oh, no, that's later on when he interprets for uh, for Belshazzar, one of the later kings. He says, you can keep your riches. I'm not interested in those, but I'll tell you what the dream means anyway. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. what the vision means. Yes, that's right. Right. So so this is the story that that we've looked at here. So what, how does this relate to then? The day of Pentecost. Why have you put? Why have I put that together? I think when I when I put this plan together, obviously trying to link in um, passages as best as I can, uh, but also wanting to have some sequence to it, so that it's we're not just always jumping all over the place. So very much my intention with with Daniel, and I think we'll probably look at Jeremiah and Ezekiel as well, other prophets, is there was a a very real sense in which these prophets, these Old Testament prophets, were empowered to do what they do by the Holy Spirit. And so we'll see that when we look at what it says about Jeremiah and about Ezekiel and his calling. And Daniel here, even though it probably doesn't refer to Daniel here as being specifically empowered by the Holy Spirit, um, he has this sense of uh, that he's, in, he's been endued with wisdom. Yep. And so uh, one of these, in, in the Old Testament, there's, as I already alluded to, there's really kind of two main roles we see for God's Spirit. One is creation and recreation, and the other one is empowering for specific tasks and yep. so one of those most specific tasks is actually the prophets the prophets were seen to be god's mouthpiece it was like their human spirit was um 
was uh, God, God attached the Holy Spirit to their spirit and empowered them for a specific task. So that's why I've chosen Daniel. He's a great example of a, a spirit-filled man who's operating in tune with the Holy Spirit while still being practical and functional in his role on the earth. I mean, not we read a lot about him being a, a prophet here and, and seeing some visions and directions, but he was also a governor. So he was also dealing with books and accounts and numbers and, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. So he was using wisdom in all the everyday areas of his life, as well as being in tune with God, what God was doing at the grander scale as well through yeah, his spirit. Right. Yep. And, that, and that's, I mean, that's what we all have to face every day, isn't we it? Do. We do. We have to live in the world. We, yeah. You know, we have to be able to. And when you see, when you see Christians who just don't have any anchoring in the world and it's all about somehow the ethereal, it kind of is disconnecting. Yeah. But I think God wants us to live in this world and be in the world. And I think we need God's spirit empowering us to be able to do that. Yeah, right. Yep. It's good balance, isn't yes, it? Yes, yeah. So um, just one last thing in this um, in this chapter I wanted to point out was um, ch- uh, chap- verse 47. The, um, so the king has heard all this stuff and he says to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. So... We see here what the whole the the work of the Holy the Spirit does. Result of what this has done in yeah. Nebuchadnezzar's life, you mean? Yeah, right. Yeah. Yep. Is that what you mean? Yep. Yeah. And 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 further on from Nebuchadnezzar's life, because he's the boss of the world yes. basically yes. at the yeah, time. Yeah. Things start to change a bit, don't they? Yeah. You know, he starts to Yeah, and it's very hard with the book of Daniel because it's not chronological. It's all a bit all, all over the place. It's actually been woven together in a different way. I can't remember exactly how it is, like chapters one and eight match and two and seven match is sort of integral in some way okay. but right in the middle of it is is a central message i think it's daniel four um we're not doing we are doing daniel four aren't we yep. that was daniel four or not is that sto- no that's not the story of um of him having the dream it is where he goes crazy we'll get to that isn't it yeah, 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 yeah so we'll get to that because yeah, you know, yeah. we'll get come back to that in a minute because that's integral to i think the message of daniel is that god is the lord of lords exactly what it says yeah. here the king of kings yeah and nebuchadnezzar comes to realize that yeah and, yeah. and I guess he's typical of most of the kings in the Old Testament, whereas they, they see God do these amazing things and they go, oh, yeah, he's the God of gods, and then they kind of forget over they time. They forget over time, yep. And they start to look at, look at themselves yep. again. As, which is what he does, yeah. And, and I think that's a lesson for all of us. We can, we can all be blown away by the Lord but fall back into self, yes. Yep. And, and so on that, next chapter is about Nebuchadnezzar building oh, this, yeah. this wonderful big statue, a golden statue of himself and making everybody bow down and worship him, okay? Um, so, and, and it's a great story. Why did you include this story in in with? Well, because I could have picked, you know, I obviously wanted to have some parts of Daniel. Yep. And so I, I would think that this, this story in particular flows really well off the back of chapter two. It's not, sp- I guess we're not specifically here talking about uh, Daniel being empowered by the spirit. Yep. Um, but I think the, the theme is still the same in that we are dealing with um, objects of worship. We're, we're dealing with who, who are we making our allegiances to. Yeah, right. and, and for us, we, we make our allegiances to. As, as followers of Jesus, we want to make our allegiances to him and allow God's spirit to work in us. Jesus says in John, yep. he will come and make his home in us. What we see here is a picture of um, 
of a few guys who, who refuse to do what Nebuchadnezzar says yeah. and say, no, we're going to trust that the Lord will look after us, even though, um, even though you say you're going to kill us <laughs> if, yeah, yeah. if we don't. Right. So it's that, once again, I think it's, it's a good story to just focus on who, who are our allegiances really to in life. Sure, right. come to Daniel 4, which is the one you were just speaking about before. Now in Daniel 4, the, the king once again has this, this crazy dream. Um, do you want to, would you like to talk about this one a little yeah, bit? Yeah, yeah, sure. So in this particular dream, um, I'm going to do it off the top of my head. He has this dream of uh, this tree that is, um, it, it, all the birds come and nest in it. And it, Is that right? Is that the one we're talking about? Uh, he has the dream. Finally, Daniel came into... Where we go? Let's just uh, read it. Yeah, I, I Nebuchadnezzar, verse 4. I was at yeah. home in my palace. Let's go to the start. Mm -hmm. Daniel 4? Yep, Daniel 4. King Nebuchadnezzar writes this letter. Interestingly enough, it's, not, it's actually written in Aramaic. I think it's written in a different language to the rest of them. He writes to the nations to declare to all his, all his constituents, I suppose, all, all who follow him. It's my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs and his wonders? It, it reads like he's yeah. had a transformation. He's had a, it does. a revelation here. Yeah. Verse 4, I, I was at home in my palace. I was contented and prosperous. And then I had a dream that made me afraid. And as I was listening, lying on my bed, I saw visions passing through me that terrified me. So I commanded all the wise men of Babylon to be brought before me to interpret the dream. And they came, very similar to chapter 2. Yep. I told them the dream. This time he told them the dream. He didn't hide it from them. But they still couldn't interpret it. Finally, Daniel came into my presence and I told him the dream. He's called Belteshazzar after the name of my God. Isn't it interesting? It is. Yeah. It just goes to show a progressive understanding of, yep. of the old view. And the spirit of the holy gods is in him. So that's interesting that some versions will say the spirit of God or the spirit of the holy God. So I think Nebuchadnezzar is still wrestling this all through. Yeah, and I'm okay with that. God's obviously working with him despite where he's at. Sure, right. I said, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know the spirit of the holy gods is in you and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here's my dream. Interpret it for me. There are visions I saw while lying on my bed. I looked and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the, the land. Its height was enormous and the tree grew large and strong and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. It was beautiful. It's fruit abundant on it was food for all. Under, the, under it, the wild animals found shelter and the birds lived in its branches from and from every creature was fed. Mm -hmm. In the visions I saw on my bed, and there before me was a holy messenger coming down from heaven. And he called in a loud voice, cut down that tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. So now we see the trees are him. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him give him a mind of animals till seven times have passed. This decision is announced by the messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know the most high is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and give them to anyone he wishes and sets them up over the lowliest of people. 
I'll stop there. So the picture is very vivid. I yeah. mean, this massive giant tree. I straight away go to the tree of life. I think of this tree of provision. Yeah, and yeah. I think we've talked about this maybe with Kenny around trees and, and the pictures of what they represent, yep. that fruitfulness comes from those. And, and quite a common theme in, in the Bible, being an agrarian society and fruit bringing shade, you know, trees bringing shade and food. And so there's this picture of this beautiful tree that looks on the surface like it's got everything together. Yep. And yet God cuts this tree down. Yeah, yeah. And so no wonder he was a little bit scared. And then he realizes, and Daniel interprets the dream, he says, actually, boss, you're that tree. Yeah, you know, yeah, right. you look like you're doing the right thing. There's a problem though. You're not ascribing the glory to God that belongs to him. You're taking it for yourself. That's right. Yeah. You've actually chosen to do what's right and wrong. And there are people benefiting from that. But I actually wonder if in the benefiting here, I don't wonder, I know for sure, we see it in Nebuchadnezzar's life, that um, this is a great picture of, very similar to King Solomon. Nebuchadnezzar is operating a lot like King Solomon here in his latter years here. Maybe yeah, in yeah. Solomon's beginning, he started worshipping the Lord, but somewhere he got proud and arrogant and thought he knew what was best. Mm -hmm. And it looks good on the surface. People are, are, are plentiful, but he's building his kingdom on the back of slaves mm -hmm. and abusing the weak and the vulnerable. I, I think his Babylonian empire was very much the same. And I think that's why God cut it down. Yeah, right. And, and it's very easy for all of us to fall into that trap, isn't yeah. it? Where, you know, we, maybe we get some sort of success mm. and people start treating us differently and we start thinking, hey, I am something special. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, we forget about that yeah. it's all only because of what the Lord's done for and us. And it happens with pastors and preachers and executives. I mean, there's a, the, they call a green room mentality where, you know, somehow our oh, pastors just want to, you've made it when you arrive in a green room out the back of, at the back. It's just crazy to think that that's, I'm, a, I'm a, all for connecting with other pastors and networking and having some space to pray before yeah. you preach in a conference yeah. or whatever. But if it becomes like, oh, that's, that, that's the glory, that's what, that's a tree that is going to be chopped down because yeah. the motives are all wrong. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and we do see that happening from. Then time we do to time see that happening from time to time. That's right, Jeff. Now I love I love um, the idea that this this king was getting these dreams. Uh, am I right in assuming that God was giving the, the dreams to this king? It would, it would seem so. Daniel would seem to indicate that the Lord has revealed these dreams. Yeah, it's chapter two and chapter four. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, and, and was. We'll see a little bit later on when we read through um, in the book of Acts. There's there's kind of mention of dreams and, and you yep. know that people will receive dreams and yep. things like that too, isn't there? So, yeah. you know, e even though um, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't maybe a hundred percent on board with God, God was still working through him. Yeah, and I think he he does. I think we need to remember that. Uh, we often come to the Bible. And I, I don't know about you, I'm a very left brain person. So when I read about dreams and all that kind of stuff, I don't naturally attuned to it. So um, I, I tend to think very empirically. I'm a scientific thinker. I like black and white. I like a reason, a logical reason for everything. That's my natural brain. Um, and I have to park that mentality when I come back to the Bible because that's not where most people lived. Most people lived in the realms of dreams and the supernatural. And, and um, I actually think that me trying to limit everything down to a lowest common denominator, um, provable uh, theorem <laughs> is actually limiting what God can do. Mm -hmm. And even scientists are starting to realize that now. So we've, we've got to give space. There's, there's a lot of difference between, there's a very fine line you step over from, from physics into metaphysics, where you step over into things that can't be proven by science. Sure. Yep. And you move into realms of philosophy. And these guys lived there. I don't naturally yeah. live there, but these guys lived there. They, they were quite common and quite open with the fact that God would speak to them through dreams. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah they didn't have 
you know, they didn't get to sit down and watch Netflix. No, or, no. Or, you know, exactly. look at their phones or whatever. Yeah. They, they spent time looking at the stars. Exactly. And, and all that yep. sort of stuff. Yeah. That's right. Fabulous stuff. Okay. And, and so Daniel, Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, hey, if you change your mind, maybe God will, you know. <laughs> Prevent <have> this. <laughs> mercy on you, but he doesn't change his mind. No. And he ends up living like an animal, eating grass in the field yeah. and whatever for for seven, seven years, years. I think it is. Yeah. Yep. So once again, the number seven comes up again. Comes up again. Yeah, that whole idea of, you know, until the judgment against you was complete. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yep, yep, God chose seven years to represent yep. that. And so, and then uh, Nebuchadnezzar comes to his senses and uh, he gets restored to... One thing that is worth saying is. here is this, the fact that he, the way he's describing himself as being like a beast, you know, basically yeah. like a beast of the field. It's yep. worth noting that beast theme comes up a lot. It comes up in Daniel chapter um, 7, um, but all the way through there's this sense um, in which a be uh, humans become beasts when they live for themselves, when they choose to... Uh, turn their back on God's way and live for themselves, they become beasts. Even, yeah, even right. God even says that to Cain. He says, sin is like an evil beast crouching at the door. It wants to get you. Sure, yeah. And Cain became a beast when he killed his brother and because sin does that. When we, whenever we say we know what's right for us, we will end up exuding beastly mentalities. And mm. so whenever you read beasts in the Bible, you've got to think about that's, the wor- that, that's a picture of the worst of humanity. Yeah, right. And so... so I guess for me, when I think of a beast, they, their natural instinct is survival, survival for themselves. At the expense of others. Exactly right. right. Yeah. Exactly. And that is the opposite of what God's kingdom is about. Exactly, it's the opposite yeah. of what God wanted Adam and Eve to be. It was not survival for yourself at the expense of others. It was lay down yourself for the, for, wow. for the benefit of others. And so there's this contrast there. And so Nebuchadnezzar ends up a beast. It's a, it's a vivid picture yeah. of when, you, when pride comes to the surface, well, Proverbs says pride comes before a fall, a haughty spirit before destruction. Nebuchadnezzar lived that out. Mm. Isn't yeah. it? It's, yeah, this just, it, it's just incredible to me the, the, the way that every word that's, that's placed into these stories yes. is there for a reason. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's not just a, a pretty story. It, it's this, you know, this um, meditational literature where, where you, you, you see the word beast and you think, where have I, where heard, have that I heard that before? Where have I heard that before? Chew it over. Yeah, yeah, go back. Fabulous, He's, isn't it? It builds this um, cohesive story from start to yeah, finish. Yeah, yeah, for right. sure. That's a great way. Great. Oh, I'm glad I heard that about yeah. beasts. Yeah, it'll change the way I read the Bible for sure. Yeah. So we're going to be looking now at, at Acts chapter 2, which is the the big chapter on the Holy Spirit. Yep, you know, the, the day, day of, of Pentecost. Pentecost. Yep. Yep. And it's just, it's just got so much fabulous, incredible stuff happens on the day of Pentecost. Sure does. So let's just have a little bit of a look at um, a couple of verses. We, we probably haven't got time to read through it all and talk about everything. If you want to read it, it's worth pausing the podcast and reading it and then coming back. It'll make a lot more sense to you. Definitely, definitely, yep. So verse 2. I thought we'll have a look at verse 2. We can start from verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. So that's all the the believers at the time. Yep, about 120, I think. That's that's what they say, isn't it? Yep, yep. 
Um, suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Uh, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Wow. What an experience. It sure is. Incredible. Um, I guess it's a, it's, you know, when we read that as, as uh, you know, people that uh, are part of a Pentecostal church, we, we think, oh, wow, yeah. that experience would be incredible to yeah. have that. And I know we probably have had... Uh, I've never had the sound of blowing wind through a building, but I've no, heard no. people who have had it. Me I've either, never seen no. fire sitting on top of Jeff's head, although no. you, I've seen you on fire, for God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I guess we've all had other, maybe other natural kind of encounter experiences. Yeah, yes. yeah, for sure. So can you just explain to us a little bit then about what this imagery is, do you think? The, the blowing okay. of the wind and right. the tongues of fire. Yeah. Well, I think... God has chosen this this imagery, this this experience is supposed to load up for them immediately a whole lot of Old Testament experiences. And they, as good Jews, would have known that. So um, off the top of my head, I can think straight away of, of two significant Old Testament stories that this loads up for me. Mm-hmm. So uh, Mount Sinai, when they came out, which I said before was the day of Pentecost. The, I think that's what they say. It's the... Uh, the Feast of Pentecost is the same time as Mount Sinai. It's what the rabbis believe anyway, um, the you know, new Second Temple rabbis. So um, straight away, if you think Mount Sinai, you think we know a picture of God going up Mount Sinai, Moses going up Mount Sinai, meeting with the Lord on the top of the mountain, yep. and that there is uh, rumblings of thunder and there is uh, you know, violent wind and storm and mm. cloud and tempest and all of that stuff. That's how God is manifesting himself on the top of the mountain um, and that is the beginning of the birth of the nation of Israel it's it represents the birth of God's people actually because yeah, right. uh, it's the giving of the law it's it's and it's the law is which sort of kickstarts the nation of Israel so I think there's significance in that there's so much similarity here the blowing of violent winds the the, the idea of you know fire in the cloud and all that sort of stuff these guys have seen visions of fire on the head so we should be Thinking back to to Sinai, yep. and thinking, okay, whatever happened then, this is a continuation yeah, okay. of that. Um, the other Old Testament story that comes to mind, which is actually linked, is Elijah after he's been up Mount Carmel and he's um, he's actually um, you know defeated the prophets of Baal and he's run for his life away from Jezebel and he actually goes back to Mount Sinai as well and he goes up to the mountain yep. and he expects to see wind and fire and all this. In fact, he does. But he says, but the Lord wasn't in the wind and the Lord wasn't in the fire. The Lord was in the gentle whisper. So um, I won't go into the depth of of all the differences there, but there's a sense in which um, God is coming and manifesting his presence Mm -hmm. in this in this experience on Sinai that both Moses and and um, Elijah have. And here we have a another Mount Sinai experience. The significant difference is that. In the Mount Sinai experience, the people weren't able to participate in that yeah, experience. Right. There was a representative before God, um, who was Moses, and yep. then there were a few others. Joshua went to a point, and seventy-two elders went to another point. But really, there was there was one person representing God, 
before uh, representing God to the people and the people to God. In this experience, we see Sinai coming off the mountain and coming into the upper room. And now everyone in the room is having their own private Sinai experience. Yeah, right. Okay, so great. God is taking what he initiated in Sinai and he's diversifying it yeah, right. across among different people. So you and I are experiencing the fullness of the spirit. We are now uh, new Israels. Yeah, okay. Walking yeah. around, empowered by God's Spirit, living by the, the law of the Spirit of life, not the law of Moses. And we are bringing God's kingdom, mm. empowered to bring God's kingdom. Right, yeah. So, so it's this new covenant we're living under, isn't it? That, yes. That when the, when the veil in the temple was torn open, yep. we, we then have access. To All God. of us now have access to God's to God. presence yeah. yep. and, and God's spirit. spirit. And he yeah. wants to dwell. God wants to dwell in all of us, not just in Moses or in the priests or whatever. And that was, look, that was always God's intention for Israel. In fact, it says multiple times, a couple of times at least, it says, I've called you to be a kingdom of priests. God's intention was always that his people would be a priestly representative to the world. They just blew it. Yeah. And so Jesus came along and said, you guys were supposed to do it and you didn't. Therefore, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you and I'm going to give it to a people who will produce its fruit which is a, a prophecy about the church, that now believers will be the ones who will bring his kingdom. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. So that's what's going on here. It's definitely an allusion to Mount Sinai. Yeah, okay, that's great. Thanks for that. That, that really helps to uh, put, th put things together too, for me, for sure. Um, and so then they all started to speak in other tongues. Yep. We probably won't go into too much depth in this, will we? Because we're going we'll, to we'll have touch a, on it. On we're going to have Holy a separate Spirit. podcast yeah, all yeah. about the Holy yeah. Spirit and all the gifts of the Spirit yeah, and sure. all that sort of stuff. And so we'll have to touch. We're doing a little bit of Acts 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14 today. So yeah. there will be some reference to tongues uh, here. Of course, yeah. Um, we're going to great depth. Other than to say, you know, this, this concept of speaking in other languages carries some Old Testament meaning as well. Uh, it's supposed to be, especially this experience, is supposed to be linked and read. The rest of book chapter 2 here with what they're seeing and hearing, we should be thinking back to Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel and the reversal of the Tower of Babel. What happened in the Tower of Babel was they were unified yep. against God for themselves and God scattered them. Here they are unified for God and God unites them. Yeah, right. So it's a complete yeah. reversal there. Rather than speaking different languages, he enables their languages to be interpreted. Yeah. So that's this practice of tongues, specifically this Acts 2 tongues. Um, but the practice of speaking in tongues or other languages is not unique to Christianity. There were, at this time, at the time of the first century, the Greeks were quite familiar with this concept of glossolalia, speaking, uh, okay. babbling in other languages. It was quite a common religious practice, it, so much so that it, it seems to be something that is part of the ability of the human spirit, if you like. Right, okay. Um, and it needs a catalyst to kick it off. And in this case, um, it actually is... Um, the Holy Spirit, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, which kickstarts that ability for their human spirit to be yeah. able to speak in tongues. Okay. That's why it's called praying in the spirit. Um, I don't know that uh, there are differing views out there, but I think my understanding way back to thanks to Dr. Ken Chant many years ago was that, that the gift of speaking in tongues is actually an ability that lies within the human spirit. And, um, and it re relies upon that catalyst. That catalyst in our case is the Holy Spirit who ignites. And that's why... People can speak in tongues who want, you know, might have been in a Pentecostal church, might have backslidden from the Lord, but they can be down at the pub and they can still speak in tongues. Yeah, right. You go, well, how does yeah. that work? It's because it's it's something within their human spirit that has been set alight. Yeah, okay. So, okay, that's great. So they, they were um, speaking in other languages and all the people that were around heard them speak in their own languages. 
And this helped them to hear the message um, yes. about God, yeah? Yeah, that's right. That was the purpose. For most of the people anyway, and, and a lot of the people listened to it and th- they took notice. But it says in verse 13, some, however, made fun mm. of them and said, they've had too much wine. Mm. I, I, you know, I, I guess I've read that verse many times and thought, these dopes, you know, they, they're just completely missing it. But the older I've become and the, the more kind of, I don't know, I don't know what the word is, but the more I've kind of come to understand the human condition, mm. I think these people here were really just trying to make make sense of what was happening. Yeah. You know, and yeah. we, we, we see that happening today. If people come into our church and, you know, there's somebody speaking in tongues it's like what's going on here what's this going is on? crazy is this yeah. is this the devil doing yeah, this or yeah are they drunk just trying to figure it out what's yeah. going on yeah. yeah yeah so yeah so, so you're not so hard on them in that sense that you realize that yeah yeah i think i think that's a good call i think oftentimes christians just we very much us and them everybody everyone who's not for us is against us kind yes, of thing that's right i don't think i think life's more nuanced than that yeah yeah i think, I right. think we all do it that don't we we all we try all to yeah. work things out with with the the knowledge that we have, yeah, you know, and what must be happening here. Don't and don't feel bad if people are trying to do that, um, and they haven't figured it out yet. Something's going on. I mean, the fact that they're saying there's too much wine, there's some that's like there's a whole host of things they could have said. The fact that they're going, oh, these guys look like they've had too much to drink. It shows that there's a strangeness to this behaviour. There's some kind of supernatural, ecstatic, a little bit weird behaviour happening. Yeah, for right. them to call it that, they could have said, oh, these guys are, are crazy because they're all in a catatonic state. But whatever it is, it's something that makes them think they're drunk. <laughs> yes, right. Yeah. Yep. yep. Okay, so these guys are all, you know, speaking in tongues and there's fire and all this stuff happening. But it's only happening to the believers. Yeah? Yep. There's 120 guys. And girls. And girls. Yep. Well, yeah, sorry. For 120 me, people. For yep. me, guys. Yeah, is, guys, is is guys and gender girls. Gender yes. neutral. Oh, it is for me too. <laughs> but just to, let just to clarify. Yep. Okay. It is for me as well. So, so many people would say that, like we talked about before, that the Holy Spirit was only for those apostles. But let's read chapter seventeen and and onwards. And, and verse seventeen, you mean? Oh, sorry, yeah. Verse seventeen. Yep. Verse seventeen onwards. Uh, yep. It says, "In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams." We were talking about dreams earlier. Yep. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. So what, what's your take on that? He is directly quoting from a prophet, a prophecy in the book of Joel, chapter 2, and uh, which was a, a future prophecy that, that the time would come when God would do all these things. This would be the fulfillment of it. And what Peter is saying is, this that we're seeing now is that. Mm-hmm. This is that was spoken by the prophet Joel, that in those days, and now you're seeing those days, the fulfillment of those days. These are the last days. The last days begin and God is doing these things. He's pouring out his spirit. Get ready. We're, yeah. in, the, we're in the period of the summation of God's plan. Yeah, right. Which excited them, really. I mean, they were longing for that. Joel's a strange book. There's locusts and all kinds of plagues mm-hmm. and all that. But it's supposed to be, as often the case is, um, with the prophets are supposed to have hope to it and they had this hope that one day god would do this that yeah. he would pour out his spirit on all flesh yeah right that's i guess that's the the word here that that 
makes me believe that the Holy Spirit is for everyone because yes. it says on all people. On all people, yep. Yeah, and then it goes on and says sons and daughters. It's, it, it's not gender specific. It's, it's not even necessarily national or ethnic specific. It's all people. Yep. Yeah, now, I, know, I know we're not meant to just grab one little word and make a doctrine from that in the Bible, mm -hmm. that word all people, or two words there, all people. But can, can you uh, expand on that a little bit? What, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, why it's all people? You think it's all people? I do, do and you I believe think, that? yeah, I don't think Peter probably got that at the time. In fact, I'm, I'm certain that he didn't because to him, all people still meant, yeah, it's available to all people, but you've got to become a Jew first. Yeah, okay. So he's, we see that in chapter 10, Acts chapter 10, is that he has this revelation. Oh, you don't have to be a Jew. He goes and meets Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, and a Gentile gets saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit. I think that's the next chapter. And, and he then realizes, oh, all people doesn't mean all people who've become Jews. It means all people regardless of whether they're Jews. However, that all people concept is, is so important because that was God's intention in Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2 that you would fill the earth, you would subdue it. It was God's plan in Genesis chapter 12 when God said to Abraham, I will bless you and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. Yeah. I heard Tim Mackey describe it really well recently and I've never heard him say this before. He described it like you take an hourglass and put it on its side. And so originally God's in plan is for all people, but all people, Genesis 1 to 11, all people blow it. They end up building a Babylon empire. Yep. So God narrows it down. He chooses one man, he chooses Abraham and then begins to widen the thing back up again so that ultimately through Jesus, well, Jesus is actually the beginning, the, the one man. And yep. it goes, Abraham, it narrows right down to, yeah, it starts with Abraham, his descendants, right down to the one person, Jesus, the son of David. And then beyond Jesus, this is the beginning here. What we're seeing is the opening up of God's plan for all people once yeah, again. Right. And I really just thought that was a good vivid it explanation. Is, yeah. It narrows down only so that it can open up again yeah, sure. and all people can be re-included within that yeah that's within great that plan yeah I, like that. And I think that's what this all people is going on here yeah Gee, we're, getting, we're getting some good uh images to yeah uh, images to think about today aren't we? yeah yeah right okay and so so the holy spirit's come down and you know people are doing all this stuff and um it, it's fabulous and and i guess people are excited by the holy spirit and the empowering and you know but then we i really want to touch on what happens next so in verse 22 we see peter speaking and he says fellow israel israelites listen to this jesus of nazareth was a man accredited by god to you by miracles wonders and signs which god did among you through him as you yourselves know this man was handed over to you by god's deliberate plan and foreknowledge and you with the help of wicked men uh, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Um, and, yeah, that's it. And then a promise for about now, David, yeah. yeah. And then a promise, yeah. So I guess the point I want to get at here is, you know, Peter doesn't say, hey, guys, come in and get these amazing gifts and you can see see dreams and things. What does he do with, with the empowerment? He points him to Jesus. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. In fact, a couple of chapters later, we see he, he and Peter, James, I think Peter and John go to Samaria yep. and they start doing miracles there. 
and we read about a guy called Simon who says, hey, give me money. I offered him money and said, give me, give me the gifts. Yeah. And Peter rebukes him and says, no, your money's going to perish with you if you think you can buy God's gift. It's not about that. Exactly your point, Jeff. It's, yeah. about, it's about Jesus. He uses it to point to Jesus. Yeah, right. Yeah, great. Good call. For sure. And, and that's what the Holy Spirit does, doesn't yes. it? Yes. He always points, points us to, to Jesus. Jesus. Yep. Always to yeah. Jesus. You always point me back to Jesus, as Ryan Smith's C3 song says. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you always point me back to Jesus. Yep. That's right. And that's I, th- right. I think that's a really important thing. And Otherwise, we end up, it's human nature once again, we can end up... Um, making a big deal out of the supernatural gifts yep. as though they are some sense of maturity or once you've got those, you've arrived rather than, and Paul goes to great lengths in his writings to try to explain those gifts are there for the building up of the body of Christ. Yes. They're there yep. for others. They're not there for yourself so you can look more spiritual. That's the wrong. You actually, by the process of trying to feel like you look more spiritual because you have more gifts, actually makes you more fleshly because you now it's all about you and not about Jesus. Yeah, I agree. Yep. I hear you. Good call. Yeah. That's right. It's, I think it's important that we always keep going keep back. focused on Jesus. Jesus all the time. Yeah, and, and you, sure. You've heard me say that. Oh, yeah. Nearly you every meeting. You say that, that all have, the time. Let's stay on Jesus. And I, I think, you know, I don't know. I guess it's been my experience that when we have, uh, let's say, a church service or uh, a, a Bible study and we're focusing on Jesus, everyone goes, that was so good. Yeah. It was no different than any other service. Yeah, but there's an emphasis on the Lord Jesus. Yep. Yeah, for sure. I'm right. with you, Jeff. Okay. We call um, Christians for a reason. Yes, We are the anointed right. ones, anointed in the same way he was. Yep. Um, okay. Um, verse 38. Let's have a little bit of a look at that one. I think uh, this is the promises for you and you all who are far off. Is that it? Uh, yes, it is. Well, that's oh no, it's coming. That's in yep, thirty nine. Thirty nine, close enough. So thirty eight. So Peter explains to everybody about Jesus. He kind of presents the gospel. Yep. And he's he's with this authority and this conviction. You know, he he kind of has a crack at these guys for you. Yeah, know. for being the one who nailed him to the cross. Yeah, exactly. You handed him over. You 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 guys did this. Yeah. And then he says in thirty eight. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. I love Peter's heart here, you know. Yeah. It, we, I, I think I preached on you this did one preach time on this recently, yeah. And we can read this thinking that Peter stands up and he's just got this harsh sort mm. of, you know, repent, repent, you know, for the day yeah, of the Lord. Yeah, a little bit like hellfire and brimstone, but he's. But when I read it, I, I feel that he's just pouring his heart. Yeah. Come on, guys. Yeah. I want you to understand. I want you to experience this. what we're experiencing yeah. here. Yeah. So I, I guess the point that I kind of think is really important that we get is that the day of Pentecost wasn't just about the Holy Spirit. Mm. It was about the Holy Spirit for repentance. Yeah, for, for inclusion for with Christ to, yeah. to come into his family. Yep. Yes, I think. I think there's a sense in which this is a, this is the birth of God's, it's the recreation event. It's, yep. the, it's the new creation happening here. Jesus has resurrected his, the new creation has begun in him. But now we're seeing on mass the beginning of the outflow of the sideways hourglass, and in that more people are now being 
invited and Peter is including them and wanting them to join the family, be part of what God's doing. Come and be a part of me. I mean, I'm calling out to you to come and come and join Jesus in this yeah, mission. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so what do you make of, okay, repent, be baptized, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? Can you talk into that a little bit? Yep. Um, do you think there's an order? I think there, there is a, uh, we'll probably talk about this more on the Holy Spirit yeah. po- podcast. I I think it's good to form up some sense of doctrine. I probably aren't as hard and fast about doctrine as I once was uh, in terms of, let's say, the order. What happens? Is the, or you repent and then you get baptized in water, then you get baptized in the Holy Spirit. There, the, um, Ken Chant says, actually, when I did, he did some brilliant teaching on the Holy Spirit years ago, but he said part of the reason, his belief is part of the reason that the Pentecostal experience was lost to on mass to the church for the better part of 1900 years or probably 1800 years was um was the fact that they didn't have a doctrine for it they it hadn't been uh, catechized into a doctrine that people could actually go and say okay this applies and this applies sure. whereas they did that with other doctrines and once they actually formed up a doctrine it actually then be, was able able to be spread because you can transfer teaching you can yeah. teach about something and you can transfer it that's what we're doing here and there wasn't a lot of teaching about this mentality um, up until the early 1900s, and historically that's probably quite quite true. But that said, I think we need to avoid the risk of becoming so focused on doctrine that we don't allow for the flexibility of of the Holy Spirit. I, I think I've found too often with doctrine, especially doctrine, doctrine of the baptism in the Spirit, it's very hard to get all the pieces to fit. Yeah, It doesn't all fit. I think that's what right. Peter's saying here is a general principle. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. The process is you repent, turn to God, repent of your sins, turn to Jesus, go through the waters of baptism and you'll receive the Holy Spirit. However, we're going to read in chapter 10 that Cornelius, we didn't see him repent. He obviously did. He, he in that process of listening to Peter's teaching, but he wasn't baptized in water until after he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, right. So I, I think it's not a one size fits all. It has to happen in this order. I think see it as a general principle yep. more so than a try and make all the, all bits fit together in some kind of perfect cohesive doctrine. Okay, that's great. So, uh, speaking of chapter 10, we're going to have a look at chapter 10 now then. Now... Yeah, this is about this this fellow called uh, Cornelius who um, we'll, we'll have a little bit of a look. We'll, I, won't, I won't sort of preempt too much here. Let's let's just have a read through um, verse nine and ten. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it says about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and he wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He fell into a trance. What? (laughs) Uh, Okay, so here here we've got this weird stuff happening again, haven't we? Yeah. We've got more weird visions and dreams. What do you think when you hear that, Jeff? Well, I guess... I can ask you, because when I ask Jeannie that, she just goes, no, I'm I'm on the interviewer here, you have to answer it. (laughs) But you're a pastor, I can ask you. (laughs) I I guess the, the world that we live in, you know, the idea of trance conjures up 
kind of magic spells and black magic mm -hmm. and demons and being kind of overtaken and mm -hmm. not in control of your body anymore yep. and that sort of a thing. That's, I guess, what I've learnt probably from watching movies and reading books and, you know, fictional stuff over the years. And that's, you know, you're in a trance and walk around like a zombie yeah, sort yeah. of thing. So you're preloading a specific cultural understanding of this on the so yes. with that with that preload what do you do when you hear peter falls into a trance what let's assume you don't know anything about the bible yep. you hear that based on what you've just been told what do you think what's your first thing thought about what's happening here i think peter's being you know uh, possessed by the devil or something right yeah. so automatically there's this assumption in us that trances are bad yes yeah um, that if we fall into some kind of trance or some kind of uh, semi-conscious state. Yeah, like astral traveling uh, yeah, or right, that sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. And, that, and look, that is very much what you probably, it's not just the movies. I would think that a lot of that has been preloaded up because of uh, 1990s and early 2000s Christian evangelical stuff um, okay. in the fiction and all the stuff that was around about that time. There was a lot of, uh, you know, concern, uh, and rightly so. But there was a lot of concern about occultic practices yeah. and all of those sorts of things. Um, and I think what we automatically assume is that okay, trances happen in occultic practices, therefore they couldn't be a good thing, a god thing. Um, and I'm probably going to maybe upset some people when I say this, but I actually think that that is not how the New Testament. I want to tread carefully because I don't. I'm saying I'm not advocating everyone goes around and gets into into trances. But that's not how the New Testament Christians thought of it. And it's certainly not, we've seen that with Daniel and Ezekiel and all these visions, yep. certainly not how they thought of it. It was quite a normal part of practice for them. They viewed, and, and I'm getting more comfortable with this, that, that um, they viewed that once their conscience got out of the way, God could speak to them. Okay, that yeah. their conscience would get in the way. Have you ever woken up like I find some of my most incredible moments of clarity come in the early hours of the morning. I wake up and thoughts are there on yep. right there in my mind that um, I don't even know. I wasn't even thinking about that thing. For sure, yeah. But the, and the clarity, maybe it's an answer to a problem that I was trying to solve or yep. an idea. And it just comes into my mind at that moment. That tells me something, even at a metaphysical level, it tells me something's going on in my conscious brain, which gets in the way of there's, there's a deeper level of thought. Yep and connection with reality that um, that we need our conscious brain out of the way in order to experience. Yeah, I would agree with that for sure. Yeah, Many times I've been preparing a sermon. Yeah, that's a good example. I, and I think I've got it worked out, but then I'll yeah wake up at three in the morning yep. or something. And you're not even thinking about it. No. But we, I mean, we know this. I mean, we, scientists know that our brain is deeply working at yeah, that level yeah. when we're sleeping. Dreams are our way of filing stuff. They know it. They don't know everything about it. It's still very much an unknown science, but they know there's stuff going on. Mm. And so I, I think it's perfectly normal that when P Peter says in Acts chapter 2, you're going to dream dreams and see visions. I think it's perfectly normal that to some degree, I need my conscious brain out of the way for that to happen. Yes. Yeah. And so Peter is obviously sitting here contemplating, meditating. Now, meditating is not bad. It's all through the Old Testament. Yep. It's what you're meditating on that's the sure. issue. Yep. The meditation process in itself is not bad. We could be meditating on demonic spirits or I could be meditating on God's word yeah. or meditating on God. And I think the outworking of that in my life is actually going to be the same. It's, it's going to be a surrender of 
or at least a suppression to some degree of my conscious mind so that my subconscious mind can come up. Now, the question is what happens in that subconscious mind? And people will think, well, I don't want to let my subconscious come up. If I surrender my conscious thought, I am opening myself up to all kinds of evil influence. That's, that's the fear, really. I think that's the fear. Yeah, yeah, if, I, sure. if, I, if I surrender my conscious mind, I'm potentially opening myself up to um, evil influence. And it's on me not to surrender my conscious mind because that would be dangerous for me to do that. I would think that a, a focus on the Lord where I put my conscious mind, I, I force myself or allow my conscious brain to settle a little bit while I'm in the presence of God. I have to think that God's bigger than that, that yeah, God, yeah. God can speak to me in that. For sure. If I'm walking with him, he's not, that's not to me, that's not me opening myself up to demonic influence or some kind of other power of persuasion. That's actually me opening myself up in a very real way to allow God's spirit to connect with my spirit at a level that's deeper than my conscious mind. And I think that's what's going on here. Very long answer, but I, I think we have to read it. It's trance. So yeah, somehow yeah. he's in some kind of state where he's got an altered consciousness. Mm. I, I think what, what you said, I think, is right. I, I'm not sure if it's in what we're going to talk about today, but there's certainly in the Bible it talks about, you know, that when we're in the spirit, we can't say God be cursed. Yeah, that's it. That's you know? it that, I don't know if it's in that, but yes, I think that's uh, James, I think, says that or something. Yeah. Yeah, and it, well, I, I was yeah. reading it somewhere this yeah. week anyway. And, and so, yeah, so, you know, that, that's been one thing that I've always felt comfortable with when I've prayed in tongues yes. or spoken in tongues, yes. knowing that it's the Holy Spirit is not going to be, you know, saying demonic things. No, or, you know. no. We have to, we have to recognise that if we are in tune with God, he will look after us. Jesus, yes. Jesus said something to the, he says, which of you fathers will give bad gifts to your children? You won't. You don't give them a scorpion if they ask for an egg. You don't give them a serpent if they ask for a piece of bread. Yep. How much more will the father give you the Holy Spirit exactly. when you ask him? Exactly. Yeah. It's actually, one of the versions yeah. actually says, some I say good gifts, but I think it's Luke's version actually says, how much more will the Holy Spirit, the father give you the Holy Spirit? Which seems to indicate exactly what you've just said. If yeah. you trust God, he will... He will, and you're in a state of semi-consciousness. Otherwise, why would we ever go to sleep if we really don't trust that the Lord well, will look after us? That's true. Because that is yeah. semi-conscious right and, there. And, you know, we know that God's so much bigger than the devil. Totally. You know? that's, that's, it's fear-based in my mind. Yeah. I think a lot of it is fear-based. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so Peter has this vision and the vision kind of tells him that, you know, the message that he has now is going to be for the Gentiles as well. Yep. And we, we probably that's, won't go into no, that right that's now. That's what it essentially is to say that that's what the vision is about. He's trying, yeah. to, he's trying to break Peter's mindset. Peter has a mindset that you still have to become a Jew, still get circumcised. And God's trying to say it's not about that. That's it. He's ba basically breaking his preconceptions. That's yep. what the, the, the vision is about. Okay. Now, I want your opinion on these two verses. Verse 19, while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are going to look for you. So the Spirit said to him, okay, I presume it's the Holy Spirit. Yep, yep, well, it's capital S in my Bible, but yep, I yep. assume it's, yep. Okay, and then on verse 22, um, th this, this is what happens to um, Cornelius. It says, a holy angel told him, to ask you to come to our house so that we could hear what you have to say. Holy Spirit oh, and okay. a holy angel deliver these messages. Yep. Is there a difference? Um, 
I'm going to say yes in that particular case, just at face value. I, I think at face value, what I'm reading there is that Peter is having a conversation with the Lord. He's having a dream. He's having a vision. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, yep. one of the Trinity is speaking to him. Cornelius seems to not have that, but has a ministering angel. A holy angel speaks to him. So, and, and Hebrews tells us angels are ministering spirits sent to minister to those who will inherit salvation. I think in this case, it's an angel that, speak, that appears to Cornelius and tells him the same thing. So it's like the Holy Spirit and the angels are all working in unity together. Yeah, right. So it's showing us there that God can speak to us in different ways. In different ways. Yeah. yeah. Once again, it's not, it's not a one size fits all. Yeah. Yeah, I think. I Probably think don't want to get all hung up on the angel sort of no i'm sure we'll touch on angels plenty of times in this podcast but i think when you you also got the angel of the lord in the old testament which is a whole different thing again um but yeah i think that seems to be talking there about a a different an actual spiritual being um that serves the lord yep yeah okay Uh, i just want to have a quick look at verse 26 okay um so so Peter goes along to Cornelius's place and when he gets there, Cornelius throws himself on the floor and sort of starts, starts worshiping. worshiping Peter. And what does Peter say? He says, stand up. I'm only a man myself. I love that. Yeah. I love that about Pointing Peter. Pointing back to Jesus again. Always, isn't it? Yeah. Always. Don't, don't go taking the glory for yourself. And this is for something for Peter who was always putting his foot in and always trying to promote himself. This is a big deal. We see this in Acts chapter 4 when he's at the temple gate and he says, I don't have any silver or gold, but in the name of Jesus. He's always pointing back to Jesus. Peter has had a radical transformation about this. Yep. Yeah. Stand up. I'm just a man. That's right. Yep. And, you know, we all need the Holy Spirit. And in verse 38, we, we can read, uh, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Yep. So even Jesus... To, to fulfill his ministry, the power of the yeah. Holy Spirit. I love this verse because it essentially says God anointed himself with himself. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a real three yeah. roles of the Godhead all involved in this process. That's right. Yeah, three three my, persons of the Godhead all involved. I've got that in my book here. I've got arrows going from God to Jesus, <laughs> Holy Spirit. Exactly. And yep. It, you know, it's fabulous, isn't yep. it? Yeah. So yes, exactly that. So if if Jesus, the Son of God, one of the Godhead needed to be anointed with the Spirit of God to do what he was called to do, why on earth would we think that we don't need to be? Oh, yeah. Yeah. More so. More I so. Would, more so, absolutely. A thousand times more so. Exactly. thought. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, I'll just finish up with this one verse, I think, in uh, from Acts chapter 10, then, then we'll take a break and we'll, sure. we'll jump into 1 Corinthians. So it's verse 44. It says, while Peter was still speaking these words, so he was telling people about the, the resurrection of Christ, while people were still, uh, Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Mm. Now this, I, g- I guess this is one of the verses that um, we'll, we'll speak about more when we speak about the Holy Spirit, that that speaking in tongues is, you know, 
this is one of the primary accounts, if you like. There are primary arguments for speaking in tongues yeah. as the sign of the Spirit. Yep. The Spirit's baptism. This is one of those. Acts 10, definitely. Yep, they specifically says they were speaking in tongues and praising God. Yep. But it's just wonderful, isn't it, that it's it's not just for the Jews. It's nah. for, for yeah. everyone here. So. And it's tangible. Yeah. It's noticeable. The other guys can see it. Yeah. Something is, this isn't something that, you know, part of the argument of a cessationist is that, oh, the Holy Spirit doesn't do supernatural stuff anymore. But th this was the evidence of an internal change. There was something yes. on the outside. They could, if, if there was nothing changed on the outside, they could look at them. They still look the same. They wouldn't know that these guys had been through any kind of significant change. But the fact is they are so tangibly changed. They're now speaking in other tongues. They're, they're praising God. It's obvious on the outside that, and it points to something on the inside. So much so that Peter then goes, it's obvious these guys have given their life to Christ. Now, who we can't stop them from being baptized because yeah, yeah. it's obvious. Even though it messes with our theology, even though we don't think they're Jews, they shouldn't be able to be. We've got proof. Let's baptize them. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I, I was just uh, having a chat with, um, with Fred yesterday and we were talking about how when, when you sit with someone who's been changed by the Holy Spirit, who's you know, received Christ and, and the Holy Spirit, th there's a... You can just kind of, there's a, some sort of a connection, isn't yeah. there? Uh, yeah. You can look in their eyes and you can see there's this, um, how did I say it yesterday? You can see that there's a this melting of self in there somehow. Yeah. This, this yielding to yeah. the Spirit of God. Yeah, it's it's like just the willingness to allow the Spirit of God to be our Lord. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah he doesn't impose himself, but he invites us to do that, to allow the Spirit to be our Lord. That's right, yeah. yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, fantastic. Good stuff. Love Acts 10. Okay. Uh, we're going to have a bit of a look now at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13 and 14. Yep. So if you're, uh, you know, got your Bibles there while we're talking. You might want to open them up and have a bit of a as look. As long as you're not driving. Yeah. Well. In which case, you can just listen to us. Yes, that's right. Okay. Chapter 12. This is about, primarily about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the gifts that the Holy Spirit brings. Okay, now, I know we're going to be speaking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit in a, a in separate special podcast. podcast, which... Sounds like it'll probably end up going for about ten hours. <laughs> there's there's going to be a lot of stuff in there. It'll be a long one, I think. But um, so we won't we won't sort of get into that too much at the moment. But um, I just want to uh, read verse three to start with, and this this is the verse that I was talking about earlier on. It says, oh, therefore, yes. I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus be cursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. What do you think of that, Pastor Rowan? First of all, you're right. I was thinking of a different verse. I was thinking of something in James that said something similar, but yeah, no, okay. you're right. Um, I, think, I think Paul is trying to bring some order. So all of 12, 13 and 14 is all about order in worship and, and addressing some questions that have been asked about the supernatural and the gifts of the spirit and maybe maybe in its context i think scholars think that maybe there was some sense of there was some weird stuff 
weird stuff happening in a church. Yeah. And Paul's just trying to bring some order back to it and say, look, if these guys are really, if you're really operating in the power of the spirit, then yep. Jesus will be glorified. Right. If, Jesus is, if Jesus isn't glorified in that meeting, if Jesus is not Lord, um, then um, the Holy Spirit isn't, isn't going to be necessarily prevalent in that meeting. I don't know that he's specifically saying that you, I, he may be, but I mean, a, literal, a purely literal reading of this would mean that if you had somebody who was operating under the spirit of the enemy, that if you said to them, is Jesus Lord, that they would be incapable of saying Jesus is Lord. Maybe, sure. maybe yeah. he's taking it to that purely literal level. Um, and I'm not saying that would be a wrong rendition of this, but I think he's probably talking about in the context of church services, is Jesus being exalt, exalted and lifted up or is Jesus being uh, cast aside? Sure. Yeah, it's a good point because, yeah, you're right. This, these uh, chapters are all about order in, in a church service, aren't they? Yeah. Pretty well. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of that going on here. Because he starts with verse 1. And now about the gifts of the Spirit, I don't want you to be in, um, ill-informed because he's, he's actually dealing with questions. The letter of Corinthians is specifically dealing with questions that he was being asked. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, so... So he goes on then in verse 4 to, to say there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them, mm -hmm. different kinds of services. And then in verse um, 7, he says, Now each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is... Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. For the common good. So can you speak about that a bit? Mm-hmm. Uh, in what part specifically? Uh, Given for the common common good, good bit. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. So what, what's what's the purpose of yeah? The common okay, spirit? so I think think that's worth recognising that that um, and you you it's a bit hard to just cherry pick verses here, but if you read yeah, yeah. if you read this this context of twelve, thirteen, and fourteen, the context is that there's something gone awry in the church, and their motives or their reasons for prophesying and speaking and using those gifts of the spirit are are out of alignment. And he's, he's reiterating right from the beginning, you've been given a gift for the Holy Spirit, yep. not for you. You've been given a gift for the common good, for the benefit of others, That's for right. the building yeah. up of the body and all those mentalities. So I think he's just setting some groundwork in the early stages as to what the purpose of the gifts of the Spirit are really all about. Yeah, and I love that because, you know, we've seen people who are, who maybe operate in the gift of healing or something and that, that becomes their big thing that they you know they, it becomes about they, them they and puff themselves yes, up because, totally hey, yeah. i have a healing ministry yeah exactly you know? my yeah. healing my ministry even that whole word of my ministry can yeah. be can be a slippery slope i'm not saying I, I think we do we do all have a ministry it's not that i'm a pastor that's i'm so much better i think all of us do have ministry but we've got to be careful how we start to use it as the word my as if i own it no i've been entrusted with it yes i've been entrusted by the spirit of the lord with certain gifts for the benefit of the common good, as Paul would say here. Avoiding the slippery slope by remembering what the purpose of these gifts is. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, so um, so Paul is talking here about, you know, keep, keeping things all in order in the church. And, um, you know, we talked about earlier that the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, empowers us to preach the gospel in the church service and, and also to build up the saints. Yep. Uh, there are gifts that for us to build ourselves up yep. as well um i would say i would say the gift for building myself up uh, i'm just thinking off the top of my head here that would be 
and the only one that really comes to mind in all the lists lists of gifts in the Bible that, that really would refer to that would be the gift of praying in the Spirit. Myself. Yes, that's right. Yeah. That would be the only that's one that is for me. Yeah, Jude yeah. says, build yourself up. Jude verse 20, build yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Spirit. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So as well as being used in the context that he's here, which is for building others up, but it's it has that personal... Um, edification aspect to it as well when I pray in the spirit, when yeah, I pray right. in tongues. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Very hard to to try and live a Christian life without. <laughs> it's certainly you know? being able to pray in tongues and let my spirit pray and, and by, once again, bypass my mind back yeah, in that yeah. conversation yeah. again is a yeah. powerful tool for building up and my spirit is edified when I do that. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, verse 13, um, it's probably the last thing I really wanted to touch on in in this chapter unless you wanted to speak about something else but it says for we're all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body whether jew gentile slave or free and we're all given the one spirit to drink so i just love that that you know that it's the same spirit we're all yep. here for each other yep you know we're all here for the lord that's yep. what it's all about, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's you know. great. I, I think that that whole oneness theme is a big one in Paul. It's all over Galatians as well. Um, you know, we're all one in Christ Jesus. This yeah. this unity. Unity is a big deal for Paul. We're seeing it played out. Whatever's going on here, and there's different speculations about it, but there's a disunity taking place. Yeah. In 1 Corinthians 11, prior to this, he's just addressed the disunity in some people eating and drinking communion when others aren't there. Yeah, so right. he's, he's dealing with the fact that in, for all variety of different reasons, the Corinthian church is in a bit of a mess. And he's trying to bring back the message of unity and oneness. And he's saying that's what the Spirit is. The, the Spirit is is there for unity. The Holy Spirit exists to bring unity, regardless of what your background is, regardless of where you've come from. We all are unified. It's very egalitarian. Male, female, I'm quoting across the Galatians now, but male, female, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. But it's this mentality, we're all one in Christ. We're all unified by His yes. Spirit. Yeah. That's I think right. that's what Paul is reiterating to the Corinthian church here. Yeah. Break down the barriers that divide you. Yeah. The Spirit is supposed to unify you. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Yeah. That, you know, when when I come to church and I look around at some of the people that, you know, I really feel are, are my family, yeah. you know, and that I, that I just love them. Yeah. But if I can take a step back and look at them, I think there's no way I would even speak to that person. Great thought. If we didn't have this connection. Yeah. You know? We're unified by the Spirit. Yes. And Paul says in Ephesians, make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's a lot of overlap here as he's yeah. writing this. And, um, you know, I would add, he goes on in this, this passage, he's talking about this unity. And this is where he goes on and does the famous body analogy which we like yeah. to take out of its context and use it. To, and often is taught about in terms of, you know, volunteering messages in church that, you know, we need all of you kind yeah, of thing. Sure. And that's, that's true. There's, there's definitely validity in that. But it, putting it back in its context, it's this fact that every member matters. Yes. And that you can't mistreat or misrepresent someone or leave someone out. There shouldn't be some people who walk into church and aren't treated the same as everybody else. It doesn't actually matter whether you're a foot or a hand or an eye or an ear. It doesn't matter whether you, in he says, in fact, the, pe the, the ones that we like to treat with less honor actually deserve more honor, is what Paul's saying. So um, he brings down the obvious, he brings down the bigwigs and he brings up the nobodies and he unifies everybody and says, the body needs all parts, all parts are vitally yeah, important. Right. Yep. And I think that's how the Holy Spirit works. Um, just because I'm 
pastor, just because you're a pastor and we preach and teach doesn't make us better or more important. No, we just definitely heck not. <laughs> we, it just means that we've been given a specific, with a mouth, if you like, yeah, in right. the story, with a mouth, you know, doesn't make the mouth more important. It's yes. valuable, but it's no less important than any other role in the church. I, I've always wanted to say, it doesn't matter whether you preach a sermon or set out a chair. Cheers to you, Adrian. In fact, Adrian, we're just talking about Adrian yeah. at the rule. He, he actually says he loves setting out chairs because then it frees up us to do what we can do. So, yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. And that's the body of Christ at work when you do that. Yep. It's magnificent. That's right. That's great. Great, yeah. great explanation there, Rowan. I like it. Thanks. Okay, um, so we're going to move on now then to chapter 13, which yep. is 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. The love chapter. And, uh, you know, can I, can I, so yeah, when you're yeah. reading 1 Corinthians 13, it's, you know, we read it at weddings, we read it yep. as a love chapter. But 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14 are a whole package. I heard years ago um, a pastor tell me, going back 25, probably even 30 years ago, um, 13, he said, describe it, it's like, if you, you could take 13 out of the middle of 12 and 14 and 12 and 14 would be a cohesive thought. Yep. You've got to think of 13 as like parentheses. It's like there's this, this section where you put brackets on either side of it yep. and it, it, it fills out and fleshes out 12 and 14, um, but it's actually inserted in the middle of it, but 12 and 14 must flow together. So you could try reading 12 and then 12, the end of 12 and go straight to chapter 14, you'll see it flows. Yeah, okay. But then put 13 back in the middle because Paul's trying to say, you can't have 12 and 14 working without yep. 13, love. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Yep, that's right. That's that's exactly what I was thinking. That's what you're thinking. That, that's what I've got in my notes Go here. Go for that, it. That I preached a message for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's quite short, really. It is a it? short and, chapter, yeah. And we can, you know, like you said, we can think of it as just for weddings and funerals and whatever. Um, but, yeah, it, it is, you know, a cohesive part of the whole sort of... Um, thrust of these these chapters that that without love we're nothing mm. um, let's have a look at verse 4 in chapter 13 yep. love is patient love is kind it does not envy it does not boast it's not proud it does not dishonor others it's not self-seeking it's not easily angered it keeps no record of wrongs Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. And then at the beginning of chap uh, verse 8, love never fails. Okay, so that's the, the verse that's commonly used. But I like to look at this verse as, ch I guess, change the, the word love to Jesus. Yep. Yeah, put and Jesus in the center of it. This is just the attributes of yes, Jesus. Absolutely, good, you know? good call. And this is this is what those of us who claim to follow Jesus to be Christians. That's what we're meant to do, isn't it? We're meant yeah. to try to be like Jesus. Try yeah, to live like good call, Jesus. Jeff. Yeah, in the same way that we put Jesus in there, we can put ourselves in there, and it's very confronting because if we are Christ yes. followers, yeah. we should look like Jesus. Well, how wow. often do we look like that? <laughs> Not enough, for sure. But <laughs> yeah. but I guess if if, <laughs> if you're going to take one or what is it, uh, three or four verses there to live by, yeah, they're, they're, they're pretty good verses. Oh, aren't it took they? you ten seconds mm -hmm. to read it, fifteen seconds to read it, It'd take your lifetime to master those yeah, things. Yeah, for they, sure. 
they are they like it's like reading um, a summary of what it means to live the Christian life, isn't it? Um, to live that way. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that I is, you know, that is a picture of agape. That's yeah. the word that's being used here. The Greek word, God's perfect love, if you like, God's unconditional love. This is this is the love that God has poured into our hearts. It says in Romans five five, He's poured His love, His agape, into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So linking the whole yes. theme there together, that we can only do this empowered by God's Spirit. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. But that's actually the, op- the good news about that is that we can do it. Yes. Empowered by God's spirit. Yep. So it, it shouldn't, while I, you know, I look at that and go, I, I don't always do that. I can also look at it with encouragement and go, if I'm empowered by God's spirit, he's poured his love into my heart, then I can do this yep. by his spirit. I can live this way. For sure. Yep. Yeah. And that will play out in my church service and the way I interact with people. It'll play out in my marriage and my family and my interactions in my workplace and wherever I might be. Yep. Yep. And that that's one of the things that I've been doing learning to do more and more is as I read through the Bible is to look for Jesus. So many places where that seem like you never see Jesus in it. When you when you begin to to ask the Holy Spirit to help you, you can Jesus is on he, in every he's, word, he's every there. dot, yeah, every, that's right. Yeah. It's just he's throughout. And you know, yeah. even even things that, that seem to be boring, yeah. I find myself now reading it and I find my spirit being quickened and I get excited yeah. about even reading through numbers and things like that. I think this is exciting. Good, stuff, Jeff. I like it. You know, it's just, yeah. Even I, reading through, jo- I was doing this morning, Joshua dividing up the land and this city and this city yeah, and yeah. 11 cities and seven cities. I can get inspired by that these days. It is, yeah. yeah. Me too. When I read that, I think how wonderful is yeah. it that God does this. Yeah. You know, you guys can have that. Well, know, for c- c- people who've been slaves, suddenly God's given them an inheritance. Yeah. It's a pe- beautiful it's picture. Yeah. I, I heard someone say, the, it might have been you, said it uh, a while ago that someone, you know, whenever they pick their Bible up, they just physically shook with excitement of, of, of what, what am I going to, wasn't me, but read. yeah. What, someone told me that anyway. Coming with thought, this excitement that God's word is living yeah, and active. And I thought, I want to be life. I want to, yeah. I'm not there yet, but I'd <coughs> Man, that'd be yeah. Good, that's that's it? awesome. You know, what's going to happen here? Yeah. Yep, that's a great way to approach the Bible. That's part of why we want to do this podcast. I want people to not be scared off, but be approach it with excitement. Going, mm. hey, I'm a, I'm going to get confused. This is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not, oh, I'm going to get confused. This is terrible. I'm going to get confused. This is exciting. Yeah, it means yeah. there's some some riches to be mined. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Um, last verse I want to really have a look at here in this this chapter is verse twelve, which says, "For now." We see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Wow. Yep. Isn't that incredible? The, the, the wonders that we can see now are only just, a just a glimpse. Man. Yeah. Well, this verse is actually used by those. This is one of the primary verses that's used by cessationists. To say that, oh, well, we're now in the now. We don't need the Holy Spirit. Because if you look at it, it's, we don't need the gifts of the Spirit. Because um, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But now I'm fully a man. I put those childish ways behind. I don't need the Holy Spirit gifts and miracles anymore because now I have the Bible. Okay, now yeah. I have the full revelation. Yep. Um, that's, that was th- that's how that version is read. The, the problem is it doesn't make that sense to me because... The, the, the now and the then, when are the now and when are the then? Paul, you just read it. Paul says, for now, we see only a reflection 
as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. The cessationists believe we're in the then. We're not in the now anymore. We're in the then. Okay, right. Yeah. Well, last time I checked, I don't see everything face to face. I don't know fully, even as I'm fully known. Yeah. So um, now they would say, oh, well, you do know fully because you've got the Bible now. You don't need the supernatural. You don't need the prophetic words because you've got the Bible. You've got fully known. I don't, I think that's putting into the text something it's not saying. I don't think that's what it's saying. I think Paul's talking about the future day when Christ returns and he sees me fully and he knows me fully. And in, in that day, I will see him fully, yeah. comprehend him fully. And I will know all that he knows, but I'm not there yet. So I think we are still living in the now, not then. Yep. I think that's an excitement. Like you said, it should, so everything we learn now is just a glimpse. It's just a mere reflection in the mirror of a greater reality. Yeah, right. Yep. Part of why I love studying science and physics and all that, because to me, it's a, it's a, it's an insight into the wonders of God's creation yes, yeah. fully. And the more I go into it, the more I realize there's so much we don't know. Oh, yeah. So you know, all the mathematical theorems in the world, they, they serve us for a time, but there's so much we don't know Yeah. because, because of this, it's just a reflection in the mirror. Yeah, I know. It's just, man, it, it is exciting. Yeah. And, and I would hope that this isn't the best it gets. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. We hope that it gets even better, don't we? Absolutely. I mean, it's Much pretty better. good. Yeah. This Christian life is good. Yep. But, you know, there's promises of greater things ahead. That's right. These That's three right. remain, faith, hope, and love. Paul sums it up with, but the greatest one is love. Yeah. Let's be a loving people. Let's jump into chapter 14. Mm-hmm. Once again, th- w- there's uh, talk about love in here yep. as well. So let's have a look at uh, verse 1. It says, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. But utter mysteries by the, uh, they utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to the people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in tongue edifies themselves. This is what we were speaking about earlier. Yep. But the one who prophesies edifies the church. So, what do you think Paul's trying to get at here? It would appear that what was happening um, is that they were making a big deal. This is just, uh, based. I, I can't quote scholars, but I, I think my understanding over the years from reading on this passage is that part of the problem at least seemed to be that they were coming to church and they were all babbling away in tongues thinking they were spiritual. And Paul is trying to say, guys, that's not a sign of spiritual. That's actually, it's good for you, but it's not good for anybody else. Yeah. It's not good for the person sitting next to you. And it's not good for anyone who walks into the church. They thought that their ability to, pray in tongues was a spiritual act and Paul's trying to rectify that a little bit and go it's good for you but how's that helping anybody else when you come to church you don't exist for you you come to church to add value to other people you come to build up the body and that's a lesson for all of us we actually don't we shouldn't come to church first and foremost because we need to get something from it we should come to church to give something to others now the benefit the beautiful thing about God is it's more blessed to give than receive and, and in that process we of giving out we often do receive yep. but our motive should be to give to others and these guys seem to have that backwards they were coming and babbling away in tongues and Paul's going guys that's not what it's really about 
Yep. I want you to prophesy. I want you to speak words of life over other people. Yep. Now, those who come from a, a more conservative evangelical background who might have issues with Pentecostal and charismatic church practices will, will often quote this scripture and they'll say, see, you shouldn't be speaking in tongues in yep. church. Um, I don't think that's what Paul is saying here. I think what Paul is addressing is that it would appear that's all they were doing was yes. speaking in tongues in yep. church. It, I would say the same thing. If, if I'm, also, I'm often wary, if I'm in a room at church service and I'm, we've got strangers or those that would be considered themselves outsiders, I'm not necessarily going to jump on a microphone and just speak in tongues. Yep. Um, if I'm in a church full of leaders, I might do that, a prayer meeting or something, but I, I wouldn't necessarily do that because I don't want, I want to apply this principle to that. And that is I don't want to scare people off. But I don't think that means that um, there isn't space for us to sing in the Spirit. Paul talks about singing in the Holy sure. Spirit. Yeah. Or if I'm standing there, if, I, if, I've, if I've got mindful I have a person next to me who's going to just be completely phased out by what I'm doing, I won't speak in tongues. But if I'm pretty confident that I'm surrounded by people or the people will ask questions, I'll be comfortable doing that. And sure. I think Paul is saying decency and order is, is the point here. The problem is they didn't have that. He says elsewhere in this chapter, he says, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. Yes. Yep. Which comes back to, Ken Chant taught me this years ago, it comes back to these gifts, I have the ability to control them. My spirit has the ability to control them. Yes. I think what they were doing was they were going into some kind of ecstatic state where they were out of control. Yeah. Yep. And that's what was messy and disjointed. And, and But I think Paul's saying everything should be in order. And he actually says, I remember Ken Chant saying, it's very terse Greek. It's in this here somewhere. It says, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. The Greek actually says, spirits, prophets, control prophets. It's the Greek. It's like Paul's going, I've told you this so many times. You're in charge of your own spirit. Yeah, okay. He's trying yeah. to get them to realize, stop blaming God for going off on the tangent. You guys use your minds, control yourself, and make sure that all that you do is building up the body, not tearing the body down. Yeah, yeah. It's good because it takes away the the kind of spookiness of it all, doesn't yeah, it? You yeah, know, it, it becomes just a sensible... A sensible thing. And it's not that supernatural things can't happen, and, and I'm all for oh, that yeah. happening, And you, but, but explain it. Be prepared to explain yes. it. Yes. But Paul's saying here, there's a different... He says, if you're all speaking in tongues, it's going to look crazy, but if you're all prophesying, people are going to be thrown on their knees and they're going to... I'm kind yeah, of jumping yeah. ahead here, but... Yeah, this well, chapter, that's true, yeah. But he's, he's trying to say, they should be walking into a church service and encountering Jesus. Yeah. The he says... God is really among you is what they'll cry out if they see everyone prophesying. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And I know myself, if I've um, maybe had an altar call or something where I'm praying for a bunch of people and I'm, and I'm fairly sure that that I will be praying in tongues or I feel yeah. that I should pray in tongues, I'll explain it. That's right. That's great. Uh, you know, over the microphone yeah, to everyone. Tell, explain. This yeah. is what's happening here. Yep. Don't be freaked out. It's brilliant. You know. And that's right. And that doesn't mean that you haven't, you, you've not watered it down. You've just tried to do what you can in that context to include people yes, in it. Or right. even just to say, look, this might seem strange to you, but hey, hang with us. Ask any questions. Pastor Phil Pringle's the master at, at bringing, operating in the supernatural, but bringing people in, including people in it. Yeah, yeah. It's the way he does it. He is. sure does. Yeah. I'm, I'm always blown away by that. Yeah, he's great. And in verse 12 here, it says, um, since you're eager for uh, gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. Yeah, that's the key. This is what this whole bunch of chapters is all about, isn't yeah. it? You know, don't, don't just do it for yourself. It's not just for yourself. Yep. It's for the church. Build up the church. Yep, that's Love right. It. Yep. Okay. Um, where am I up to now? Verse 14. 
I've got all these verses written down here. I'm not even sure what they're <laughs> about, but let, let's see what it says. Verse 14. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you're praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say amen? You can't say amen because what does amen mean? It means, means I agree. I agree. Yep. I, yeah, God said it. It's truth. That kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. So, so there's a, a probably an important point for us to think about too. If you're if you're in a church service and somebody's praying something that you don't agree with, don't say amen. Don't say amen. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's just right. Keep, just keep silent. Just keep, keep silent. You yeah. Know? You don't have to. Um, acknowledge everything if it, if it doesn't flow with you. Take yeah. perfectly. You don't have to be rebellious in that. I mean, no, we're no. all fallible human beings. We all make mistakes. But park it and go. Okay, I don't quite understand that. Let me think about it. Let me research it. Maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they're wrong. But that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. And goes on to say, um, say amen to your thanksgiving since they do not know what uh, you are saying. You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. So he's talking once again about people praying in tongues, yes. speaking in tongues. Yep. And he's saying, it's good to do that. It's good to build up your spirit, but you should be building up your mind as well. Engage yes. your mind. And you can yeah. do this. I you, love that. Yeah. If you're baptized in the spirit, you can speak in tongues while you're cooking dinner yeah. and not be thinking about it. And Paul would say, that's fine. Yep. But Paul would say, if that's, that's all you ever did and you never engaged your mind, then you're missing something. So yep. I can actually, I can be praying in the spirit and engaging my mind at the same time. Yes. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. They're two different things. Driving your car. Driving my car. Yep. So sometimes I will disconnect my mind because I'm focused on other things and I'm praying in the spirit. That's okay. So Paul's saying both are okay. Yep. And yep. he goes on then in 18 to say, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Yeah. So he's certainly not saying don't, don't speak, speak in, in tongues. Don't speak in tongues. No, not at all. Uh, but in the church, I'd rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in tongues. Yep. It's just sensible stuff. It's just good, sensible stuff. Yeah, yep. exactly right. Um, I think when we put it in its context and we understand what's going on, it makes more sense. But if we're just trying to get to the letter of the law, this is where people go, well, you shouldn't speak in tongues at all because Paul, Paul said, don't speak in tongues in church. He didn't say that. He just said, I'd rather speak five intelligible words. He's, he's just saying, let's just put all things into perspective and balance. Yes. Yeah. Yep. For sure. Now, uh, verse 24, this is something that we probably don't talk about a whole lot in church, and that's sin. Mm -hmm. 24 says, um, if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. They will fall down and worship God exclaiming, God is really among you. I love that. Mm. So there's another um, work of the Spirit. Yes, yeah, the Spirit is working here, definitely. Conviction of sin. Conviction of sin, which is what Jesus said in John 14, 15, 16, 17, somewhere in there, when the Holy Spirit goes away, he will convict the world in relation to sin, yeah. righteousness, and the coming judgment. Yeah, right. yeah. 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 We, we kind of don't like to talk about that much do we say telling people that they are sinners yeah, yeah. because it it might upset people but yeah. the fact is if when we're not following jesus yeah we're, I, we're being slaves to sin aren't yeah we? i think i think it's 
I think some churches have probably shied away from any talk about sin because of a fear of it creating an offence that then will prevent people from coming to Jesus. Yeah. Um, th- I think there are some churches that just flat out underemphasize the importance of sin, and I think that's theologically dangerous ground. There's the, the Bible's very clear on the fact that sin is a very real thing and that we are all subject to it. Um, so I think we do need to speak to it and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to it. Um, I also understand that you know, people are sitting in my church when I'm mentioning sin with a whole lot of bias already. Oh, you call yourself righteous, but I know what pastors are like. You know, pastors yeah. are sinners and, you know, yeah, yeah. womanizers and all that sort of stuff. So I owe it to them to not just preach at them, but acknowledge that and take them on the journey and try to say, hey, me too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, me, w- all of us have a sinful nature. It's, it's built into our, we all define what's, you know, I say this all the time, that back to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We all pick from that tree. Yep. And we always say, I want this for myself. And it's always at the expense of others. And that is, that is sin. That is, and, and Paul, actually, when he talks about sin in the Bible, he, he really, and even in the Old Testament, there's a sense in which sin is, sin with a capital S, it's like this, it's like this force that's in the world that yeah, attacks sure. us and attaches itself to us. And that's what Jesus came to absorb the power of sin, it calls it, into himself. Um, but that has blackened our hearts and we're all in the same boat. So I think Paul's talking here about making sure you're prophesying about it, making sure that people feel like, a normal part of a, a healthy church experience will be an awareness that we are we we battle with sin and that we are slaves to sin and we need a savior. Yep, sure. I don't think it even necessarily just applies here to unchurched, unrepentant non-Christians. Oh no, no. Definitely. Uh, I think some of the things I've learned in more recent times around ancient church liturgy is that there is a space in every service for a convict for a repentance of sin. Yeah. Sure. That we acknowledge that we're all this all the time. Keep your sling, clean slate with God. Yeah. So I think it shouldn't be something to be scared about. I think with some good explanation, it's an absolutely vital and necessary part of the Christian life. I think sometimes the hellfire and brimstone people who say you don't preach about sin enough, I think sometimes maybe there's a f- that that's actually unaware that that they're actually not giving people space to, to wrestle with it. They're just telling them they're a sinner. Yeah, yeah. And that's just getting people's back up. But help them to understand why we're all sinners. I think that's the key. You can do that graciously. You don't have to be, you were talking about Paul, Peter before pleading. Please, yeah. please understand this. Yeah. I think that's what we should be doing. Yeah. Mm. And, and that's what Jesus did, didn't he? he? He didn't just condemn people. He said, well, you say this, but I say this, yeah. and he explained to them yeah, a good point. why that was bad for them. Yes, totally. Yeah. Yep, for sure. Okay. Um, verse 33, I think this sums up everything we've been talking about, or everything Paul's been talking about in these um, chapters. Oh, yes, it does. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. And in all the congregations of the Lord, uh, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Mm-hmm. Good, hey? Yeah, it's great. That's a big part of what he's talking about. Yeah. Yep. He's going to go on and talk about, we're not going to do it today for the sake of time. He's going to go on and talk about a uh, little snippet there about women in ministry. We'll deal with that at a different context. Yep. But if you've got any questions, suffice to say that I have good theological convictions that women and men are equal in ministry and that uh, that's not first face value read of what Paul is saying here is not um, is not advocating that women shouldn't be speaking in church spot on
going to be reading now from the book of Jeremiah in chapter 1. So I might just read a little bit here to, uh, from verse 1. Jeremiah 1.1. 1, 1. The word of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah. Hilkiah, Hilkiah yep. One of the priests that... Uh, <laughs> why did I choose Anna to read this? <laughs> In the territory of Benjamin. You got that one right, Jeff. Benjamin. The word of the Lord came to him in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah. So, Jeremiah is this prophet. Is that right? Yeah, he's well, he's actually one of the priests. So he starts oh, as a priest. A priest. Yeah, okay. he's a priest there. He's the son of Hilkiah, one oh, of yeah. the priests. Okay. So, yeah, so he's, he's, a, he's from the priestly family. He's probably a Levite, obviously, and probably one of those families. Yeah, right. And the word of the Lord yep. came to him. He was a prophet, correct. So the yep. word of the Lord came to him. Yep. Do we know how it came to him? Does it um, say in here at all? Uh, well, Jeremiah actually... It, it does actually, verse 4, a little bit later on. So when you see the word of the Lord, that's a phrase that was quite common. And they, when they heard that, it was, it was their way of saying that they had a directive from the Lord. So God spoke to them. Um, and it's not the only way, but it was probably the common phrase at the time. So there's this sense of the Holy Spirit is speaking. God's speaking his word to him. The word of the Lord came to him. You know, when Samuel's a young boy and he's in the temple, sorry, he's in the tabernacle in Shiloh and, and he hears... The Lord say, Samuel, Samuel, in the middle of the night and yeah, he goes right. to Eli and Eli says, go back to sleep. You didn't yeah. hear anything. And he goes and he realizes that, oh, that's the word of the Lord. And I think it actually says there the word of the Lord was rare in those days. Yeah, so okay. um, so it wasn't like it was a common practice. People weren't experiencing this yeah. in that time. And uh, in this case, that's it's the prophetic anointing. It's the it's the calling from the Lord. It's the voice of the Lord speaking to him. Yeah. came to him. That's well, a good point because we can read through this and we can sort of think that, um, you know, every man and his dog's hearing from God, but yeah. this can be hundreds of years apart. They, they? That's Some right. And this is not necessarily common practice. Apologies if you're hearing a hum. We've got a hum in the room, but I don't think it's coming out on your podcast, but I just thought I'd mention it. Bear with us. Yeah. comes and goes. Yeah. Well, in verse four, it says, The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Yeah. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations yeah right so this was his, this was his calling this yeah, was, yeah. he's describing here his first word from the lord if you like jeremiah i've got you i knew you and i've appointed you <coughs> and your role is to be a prophet to the nations so do you think i mean we we quite often quote this verse here is that you know god knew us before he formed us in the womb or while he was forming us in the womb and, and it's a lovely thing to think of so so with that in mind, do you think that, would you say that God has got a plan for every person? Oh, I see where you're going with this. You know, that some people are going to be prophets. Yeah, sure. I see. Some people yeah, are going to be, have the gift of healing <coughs> and that sort of thing. This comes back to some guidelines and the way, you, way we interpret scripture. Um, and I, I don't know, I probably fit somewhere in between. There's probably two main schools of thought and that is that everything well, i'll make three main schools of thought i'm just thinking about a dear friend fred who has probably a third one i hadn't thought of immediately but but the first school of thought is that everything in the bible refers to us personally um that's the first school of thought that if it says the word of the lord came to me before you in the mother's womb i knew you right yeah. therefore that's actually a word for me that's the first school of thought the second school of thought at the other end is that no no it only applies in the context that it was originally written and it has she has no 
reference for you. So this was to Jeremiah, you can't apply it sure. to your own life. And then in the third school of thought is that everything applies to Jesus. Yep. Okay. Uh, and there's definitely truth. We've touched on that today. There is definitely truth in the fact that everything applies to Jesus. I would say that it doesn't only apply to Jesus in that sense. I yep. think that there is definitely relevance for Jeremiah in this passage. And I think it would be fair for me to say, God can speak to me through this passage too. If this was the only time where it said, I set you apart, um, oh, I knew you in the womb. Psalms, Psalm 139 says, I fashioned you in your mother's womb. So yep. there's, it's there too. Um, what I think we need to do is not pull it out of its context, but allow it to speak to us from its context. So I've mentioned this with Kenny. John Walton says the Bible was written for you, not to you. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's the way, best way I view this. Is It was actually written to Jeremiah. This word was for Jeremiah, but I can still apply it to my life. So does that mean God has a plan for my life? Yes, I do believe he does. It may or may not be the same call as what Jeremiah got, but it's not like God only spoke to Jeremiah and everybody else had no plan for their world. Sure, yeah. I think, um, I think it's applicable to us as well. Uh, Fred would say, find Christ in the story first. Before you go looking for yourself, find Christ in the story. And I think that's, that's some good wisdom in that. Otherwise, we, we, miss, we potentially miss the Christ-centered nature of the scripture. So maybe a good question to ask is, if God says these words to Jeremiah, could he, is he saying these same words to Jesus? Yeah. I, I always like to think of the Bible as being you know, alive and yes. active and always relevant and always pertinent in our situations. Yes. As pertinent today as it was back yep. then and, and it will be in the future and it, and it is it's how we make that how we how we interpret the scriptures to come to that point because if we take it everything is written for us only sorry written to us only we can find ourselves going off on tangents and the yeah. bible's saying things that we we think it's saying things that's not yeah sure. i think we do need to anchor it in its original context what it was saying to those people and then from there build out of that what is god saying to me i think that just gives a, a level of safety net that isn't and now others will argue with me there and say no no no. Well, by doing that by focusing on specifically to jeremiah here or specifically in its context you're limiting what the spirit of god can say and then you, you're watering down the miraculous or the or the fact that god can speak to any one of us personally mm. I, i'm not i'm not hoping not to do that i think god can speak to all of us individually but i just think it's good biblical interpretation to come back to this scripture and go this was a pro prophecy that jeremiah said god said to him yeah in its first context. Yeah, it's great. And, and in, in verse 6, uh, sort of speaking about that, that, that God can speak to everyone, uh, Jeremiah says, Alas, sovereign Lord, uh, I do not know how to speak. I'm too young. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Mm. That's a good one, isn't it? Yeah. So he's giving him a directive there. Yeah. I can personally, I can take that. I know as a young pastor, I felt like that all the time. I'm too young. I'm surrounded by all these pastors in their 40s and 50s. And yeah. I was a mid-20s something, felt young, felt insignificant. And I was constantly battling against that mentality. And it was words like Paul says to Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because of your age. That was written yeah. to Timothy, but man, that spoke to me. That came alive sure. in my heart. I remember the day I got that revelation and went, I'm going to stand on my own two feet here. Yeah. 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 So. That's a good example of the word coming to life. That's right, yeah. And yeah. It, it's not always just um, like chronological young, no. youngness either, is it? It, it can no. be, you know, I know 
when I've run connect groups in the past and, and now when I preach, I can look around the room and think, wow, that person's done 10 times more yeah, Bible sure. study than me. That yep, person's yep. been, you know, yep. 50 years in ministry and, yep. and they're, you know, how am I supposed to speak to them? We can but still be threatened by that. Yeah. Where Paul would, uh, the Lord would say to Jeremiah here, don't worry about that. I'm going to put my voice in your mouth Spot on. and yeah. trust that, that I will speak through you. I will rescue you. I will speak through you. Yeah. Yeah, right. And then verse 9 says, The Lord reached out his hand, touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. So that's exactly what you were just saying. Yeah. Then. And, yeah. and bear in mind here, this, this is a vision. You know, we spent a lot of time in this yeah, podcast yeah. talking about visions. He said, most of these prophets, what they saw were visions and trances and yeah, yeah. all that kind of stuff. This is another one of those. Um, whether it literally happened in reality or not, I don't know, but I don't think it matters. The Apostle Paul, has his, he talks about it. He goes, I, I once, many years ago, was taken up to the third heaven. I don't know if it was real or not, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, know what, I know what I saw, you know, and I don't think it matters whether it's real or not. It's God was speaking through this vision. That's right, yeah. And in this, uh, as we go on, we see God's saying, check this out. What do you see? Yeah, all the you time. Know, what do Jeremiah, you see? Oh, I see a branch. branch. And then he says... I see a pot, a boiling pot, and and so all these, all this imagery comes to Jeremiah, and, and God's just going, "Come on," and he's helping him along, isn't he? Yeah, he's coaching you know, him he's along. He's coaching him. You yeah. See this pot? It's I'm going to pour out disaster upon the, yeah. upon God, you know, upon the people, upon the land. Yeah, isn't that great? He doesn't just give us these crazy dreams. I mean, if he does give us these dreams, and we don't know what they mean. Ask him. Yeah, ask him. That's what that, that seems to be here. I often say to people, if you've got a dream, you don't know what it means. I said, park it. Yeah, yeah. Because and pray about it. Because very, if God's given you a dream, he he is not that in. You know, he's not wanting to just give without giving. You know, give and take away. So he will actually give you what the interpretation should be. If you just park it and wait, God will make it clear in time. Yep. Spot on. Yep. And then uh, further on. Um, Verse 18, he says, Today I've made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. Wow. This is a very intimidating. Um, he needed this vision because he was dealing with a time when the priests and the rulers and the authorities were desperately abusing their power at the expense of others and were, were not good kings at all. Yeah. And he was being called as a young man to stand up to them yeah. and tell them, pull, pull your heads in, guys. You guys are out of line. You're not representing God here. And he was, he was going to have to be that fortified city because um, it wasn't going to be a well-received word. And it wasn't. You go on and read Jeremiah's story. He ends up thrown in pits. And yeah. I think, you know, he gets about nine chapters in or something. And he's still crying out to God going, God, you promised me that I was going to be, you know, receive, you know, I was, was going to preach this word and everything, all this bad stuff's happened to me. And God just re reiterates the promise. Doesn't even address all his complaining. He just reiterates the promise again and says straight, hey, I told you it was going to be okay. It will be. Yeah, yeah, right. And Jeremiah's they call him the weeping prophet because he suffered a lot for his prophecies. Mm. Yeah. It, when, I, when I read that there, it, it kind of reminded me of, um, you know, Greta Thunberg. This that young woman that stands up and yeah. speaks to kings. And, yeah. And it's actually probably a good picture of what, this is like I, I read this and I it's funny you say that because it kind of clash for me and my personality it clashes a little bit like I, you know I'm not going to pass judgment on what Greta is on or not yeah, about sure. but I yeah. find her 
I find her strength personally for me is quite clashing because it's not the way I would do it. It doesn't yeah, make it yeah. wrong. It's just not the way I would do it. Same with Jeremiah. I, I'm more of a, my style is more amicable. I want to reason with people rather than yeah. shout at people. But there's, there's a place for it because sometimes that's what's needed for people to take notice. Yep. Maybe, mm. maybe gentle old Rowan coming up and saying, excuse me, um, King, if you don't mind, could you just treat those people a bit better? I don't think that's going to have the effect. It needed someone to, like John the Baptist, it needed John the Baptist to point out to Herod and be yeah. prepared to lose his head, but say, hey, that's out of line, buddy. You can't, you can't do that. Mm. And, that. and that happens a lot, doesn't it? As a pastor, you might be preparing a message. You think, oh, man, oh God, are you sure, are you, sure you, you want, want me, me to, to say do this? This? <laughs> this is going to upset people. Yeah. He's like, yeah. Yes, I yeah. want you to preach it. You've got to find a way to let truth come across. Yeah. Yeah, in that way that wins people. Win as many as possible. Yep. Yep. And with the help of the Holy Spirit. Yep. He can do that. He can do it. That's he can, right. That's something that I've had to do many times and I've given this advice to a lot of people. They like that you have to um confront someone on a on an issue and you think my I'm a pretty black and white sort of a guy, you know, and I, I like to say things as they are. But you think, if, if I say that that way, that's going to be taken the wrong way. Yeah, that's so the, the art form. So I ask the Holy Spirit, yeah. give me that wisdom, yep. please. Yep. And he always gives yep. me a way of approaching people from a, a place of love. Yeah. And it, and it becomes quite well received then. Yeah, well, that's what, that's what I think should be our outcome, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and obviously there are times when people won't receive it. That that happens in in Jeremiah's life. Yeah. It happens in Ezekiel's life. Basically, yeah. we're going to see this. Ezekiel's just, he's basically confronting them and they're not going to listen. Yeah, sure. They refuse to listen. Yeah. All right, well, let's jump over to Ezekiel now. Chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 1. He said to me, Son of man, stand up on your feet and I will speak to you. Wow. That, what an honour that would be to have God say that to mm. you. Eh? Mm -hmm. Stand up on your feet, young man. Mm. Oh, man. Uh, and he spoke to the... <laughs> as he spoke, the Spirit came into me and raised me to my feet and I heard him speaking to me. So once again, he's being empowered by the Spirit for this task of being his voice, being the Lord's voice. Yep. Uh, and he's, he said, Son of man, I'm sending you to the Israelites to be a rebellious... To a... Uh, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. Same sort of thing that yep. we, we just it's read about. It's very similar to Jeremiah. Yep. Well, Jeremiah and Ezekiel are not quite contemporaries, but, but nearly. Yeah. Yep. Okay. There's probably a little bit of overlap. Ezekiel comes after Jeremiah just, I think. And they've been in revolt against me to this very Sorry, day. wrong way around. No, they would have been contemporaries. I'm just sorry to say. Yeah, they okay. would have been contemporaries. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so the people I'm sending you to are obstinate and stubborn. Wow. <laughs> okay. Yeah, um, yeah, this is the church he's got to preach to. <laughs> They're sure. obstinate. Like, sure want, it's a bit like Moses. Can you pick someone else, please, Lord? <laughs> like we just said, you sure? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, we're just starting to build the numbers up <laughs> here, Lord. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. That's a, <laughs> that's a big uh, thing to do, isn't it? So oh, this is what, what the Lord yeah, says. Yeah, that's right. You know, people have abused that. Yes, past, good call. Yeah, you that know, can be quite confronting to people. People, abuse. if you've been through that, yeah, good call. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
I think it's worth noting these guys are significant profits. Yeah. You know, I think I think it's it's probably wise for us. Like I wouldn't presume, especially if I'm pronouncing a very hard word, I'd be I'd be slow yes. to say thus saith the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I might say if I'm praying for someone, I might say, Look, I'm really sensing this. What do you think? I'll have a conversation with them. Maybe yeah. I'm once again, maybe I'm being too soft. But I would rather err on the side of softness if I'm aware that spiritual if someone has suffered from spiritual abuse yeah definitely yeah, sure or yeah. been a part of a church that's been controlling or whatever yeah i'd sure. rather i'd rather be careful with that yeah and and you know we've faced this probably many times over the years people saying oh i've got a word for the church you yes know? yeah and we don't just don't just say, raise yeah, up jump up there, there grab the microphone yeah. and otherwise we open up a yeah. pandora's box and everyone has something yeah. as a word for the church yeah and we always listen and we we'll yeah totally we out yeah, good call. Yeah. And I think um, and most of these direct words, we need to realise that these direct words, the, often the thus saith the Lord, Lord words from the prophets, are spoken to the leaders who were failing to do what they were called to do. They were oppressing. Yes. They were not providing for, they were not supplying, they were not representing God, the religious leaders and the political leaders. That's where God really steps up. And that's Jesus does too. Jesus steps up and he has says he has thus saith the Lord stuff to say to the mm. Pharisees and the religious leaders. God does not take kindly to his representatives misrepresenting him. Yeah. And I think that's what we need to remember Spot here. On. You're not talking about the average person in the church who's having a bad day. This is someone who's whose lifestyle is misrepresenting God and the end result of that is other people are being harmed. And I think yep. God, I think there there is a place as a pastor for me to stand up and say that's out of line you can't do that for sure, and because yeah. it's actually hurting other people yep yeah that's good yep and then verse five he says and whether they listen or fail to listen for their rebellious people they will know that a prophet has been among them mm. so there is a knowing isn't there yes when when you know when 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 someone stands up and pronounces that this is what god has said there's there's a, a knowing in in well, certainly I've felt this anyway, yeah. and I'm sure you do. And and uh, I've seen this uh, maybe in a conference or something. Someone will it'll, it'll give a prophecy, and afterwards, people will talk about it and go, "Yeah, that 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 word, really that resounded in my that heart." Is fair, There's a God conviction there. Doing something yeah. there. Yeah. Other times, it's like we'll get together afterwards and go, well, "I'm not so sure about that." That's right. Something wasn't Good right call. There. Something wasn't qu quite off. Yeah. So God lets us know when there's a prophet. Yeah, I think we have to, if, tr we're, tuned in if we're tuned into him, I think we yeah. can trust that and we should respond and we'll respond to that authoritative voice of the Lord. Because it's not ultimately, you know, saw it with Ezekiel and Jeremiah, it's God's words in our mouth, not not our own words. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he goes on to say, don't be afraid of, of those guys. Same as he said to Jeremiah. In other yeah. words, they're not going to like what you have to say. <laughs> this should be a call for anyone in church leadership, really. You're going to upset people whether you like it or not. Sometimes truth upsets people. Yeah. Well, the, this this is not real encouraging. Though though briars and thorns are all around you <laughs> and you live among scorpions, don't be afraid of them. By the way, if you're listening to this and you're in our church, we don't <laughs> think of you that way. <laughs> and we don't go home and go, oh, it's all scorpions and yeah. briars and thorns. We don't think of you. We love you. <laughs> we do. We do love you. Yeah. But... but the, the, to me, this is just God saying, once again, he's sort of coaching Ezekiel through this, isn't he? Yeah, going, that's, I love know. that concept. He's coaching. He's, yeah. he's giving Ezekiel a training. Yeah, 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 for sure. And so if he asks us to do something, he's going to empower yeah. us. He, um, yeah. If he, what is it, the old saying? If he appoints, he anoints. Yes, that's it. You know, yep, so yep. 
Good call. I love that. It's a great thought. Um, okay, and then he goes on and he ge- he gives the words and whatever. Yeah, he gets. In this case, he gets scrolls. So that, you know, Ezekiel often sees scrolls, which is this. You know, the word Jeremiah says the word of the Lord came to me. Ezekiel says there, uh, in it was a scroll, and he unrolled it, and both sides were written words of lament and woe. So yeah. this was a, a picture of what was about to happen sure. to yeah. Israel because of their waywardness. Yeah, and then he was called to proclaim that and Ezekiel had some strange had to do some strange things and prophetically act out some very strange things in order to get their attention if he possibly could but in the end they didn't really listen to him either (laughs) yeah yeah well this is the way the Lord looks after the earth isn't it yes and not just the earth but us people on earth you know he he doesn't just he didn't just you know set Adam and Eve up and and off you go you've made your mistakes now you're all going to have to just deal with it and no, destroy right. yourselves yeah and, you know he does things he he speaks to us he helps us along the way and he he's doing yeah. everything he can to, to bring, bring us, us home into a relationship with him yeah, yeah. for sure why don't we finish given that this is pentecost sunday why don't we just pray for our listeners those that are listening to it in real time yeah as sure. you head into um this sunday uh lord we just pr- we just pray for every person that's um that's listening to this podcast watching this on youtube uh regardless of whether it's real time or not as they listen to this lord that if they're hungry and they're thirsty for you lord i want you to uh just, i just ask that you would you would come alongside them you would send your spirit to them and that you would, they would know that it's okay to ask questions, it's okay to be inquisitive, it's okay to be confused by the scripture and not to be scared off by that. And Lord, I pray that as they dig and ask questions and, and seek truth and seek an encounter with your spirit, that the most important thing that I, I feel like the spirit of God is wanting me to tell you as you're listening to this right now is back to something I've mentioned earlier in the podcast. And that is that Jesus says, your father will not give you bad gifts. Your father will give you good gifts. He will give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. And and if you're genuinely seeking more of God, if you're genuinely seeking an empowerment for life, that as we head into Pentecost Sunday and we celebrate the the birth of the church and the the day of Pentecost, that you would experience uh, a supernatural encounter with God's spirit, that he would come and empower you with supernatural gifts for the edifying of the church. He would empower you with the gift of speaking in other tongues for the edifying of your own life. And that as a result of that, you would be motivated to become more like him. You would not become, don't need to become fearful about that you'd go off track or that you'd become less uh, centered on Jesus, but that a a genuine encounter with God's spirit will make you more Christ-centered. So I pray that you dispel any fear and that you would just baptize all our wonderful listeners in the spirit of God. You would, if those that are filled with the spirit, that you would refill them with the spirit, that we would be a spirit-filled spirit-empowered people that are able to do life and represent Jesus well and bring his kingdom to earth. Touch every person, Lord. Let there be an increase of the flowing of the gifts of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 14 says to eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. And I I pray that you would be hungry for the supernatural gifts of the Spirit so that you can uh, represent God well. Touch every person listening to this, I pray in Jesus' name. Wonderful. 
and I'll say amen because I agree with that. Pastor oh, awesome. <laughs> Thanks for being with us, Jeff. Thank you as well. And uh, God bless everyone. Have a great week and we'll catch you next time. Thanks, guys.